Hola, guys. This is Jessica. This is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid, Lucid Lab. Lab. It's Friday. I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're doing a podcast. <laughs> That's so funny. It's Friday. Ooh, Fridays are fun. It's my favorite day of the week. Yep. That's when is. we get to record. Yep. We got a good one today, I think. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what you're doing. Yeah. A little bit of true crime again. Can't go wrong with that. No. But before we get into that, I feel like I need to decompress from my week. So it's been a long one. I've been working my ass off. Let's just say that. Yeah. And I'm really stressed. I'm just so spread thin. And you know what? There's this one thing about me and I feel really lucky. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've never been someone to get pimples. Okay. I've never been. I've never been a pimple person. I realize how blessed I am to have not had to deal with that. But when I do get them, they're just mean. <laughs> they're making up it's, for I'll get like all of it, yeah. two and they're like, painful. And like last I am here. <laughs> so this is, do you see it? No, I don't. Well, I covered it really well. That's oh, great. Okay. okay. <laughs> they just, they're pissing me off. Mm. But I'm just super it's stressed. Stress. And I know that. I know yeah. that's why I have them. So, And I know when I get stressed, I eat more sugar and sugar leads to breakouts. So hmm. I don't know if you're eating more sugar, but that's no, been it's my. just pure stress just pure just stress hormones are yeah. like I'm going to pop up on your chin tonight and that's another thing they're always somewhere very annoying I'm like no I'm always touching that part of my face or something that's where I get and, all of mine because yeah. I think I sit with my hands on my face too well, much and in all my meetings I do this a lot and the more stressed you are the more you're just like sitting there like yeah. holding your face or like I don't know it probably doesn't help that my cats are like I'm gonna sleep on your face <laughs> <laughs> that can't help no it does not help Nothing other than that. It was exciting for me this week. Really, I was just really, really stressed. Although on the way over here, I had quite the experience because I had to drop off a package. Yeah. This girl bought something. So I had to go drop it off on my way over here. And as I was at a stoplight, I noticed that there was like this little thing like shining in the sun and it was a spider web okay. leading from my mirror to like the inside light console thing. Oh, so yeah. And then I was like, well, maybe it's just dust. And then the spider was like, no, I'm here. <laughs> Was the spider big or small? No, he was pretty small. But the thing was, is like I was trying to get him to not fall into my hair. Right. Because he's small and I have a mane of hair. You'd never find him and he would build a web there. And so (laughs) as I'm driving, and he's crawling right above me on my visor. Mm -hmm. And every time I hit a bump, he'd fall down a little. (laughs) And then he'd... Right in front of your eyes. And I'm like, oh. And then he'd crawl his way back up. And I was like, I just need to get you to this this other spot. Because like he's so small, I honestly don't care that he was in there. But right. at the same time, he's right above me. And if he were to end up in my hair. Good luck, buddy. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> kind of how I saw it. So I tried to move him and I got him on this little page so he could get out of that thing. And I opened my door and it was windy oh, outside. No, did he blow away? <laughs> and the wind was like, Foop. Oh, I hope he's okay. Oh, I'm sure he's fine. That reminds he's me of so light. They that reminds me of Charlotte's themselves. Web when all the yeah. little babies yep. go flying. So, so he's fine. He's somewhere else now. <laughs> he like flew away. He's like, where am I? <laughs> but let, yes, let's decompress a little bit. So let's do our horoscope. It just fits with the theme today, I think, and you'll okay. see why. So let's do it. I'm always down for a good horoscope. Well, you'd have to get it out if you're going to do co-star. Oh, I'm do doing co-star? it too? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> have to, you have to do I it I thought too. you were just going to read like you did last week. I thought you were going to, or not last week. Oh, okay. So mine says boundaries are the hard part. But you know how I read that? Because my brain is always, how do you describe that? 
like when your brain is constantly like narr- it's always narrating my life. It's narrating my thoughts too. Okay. So it's like I have this extra narrator. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this might play into what I'm talking about oh, later. Really? But anyway, so I read Boundaries of the Hard Part and this song came into my head. It's like this clip that's on TikTok with videos sometimes. And I think it's like, now here comes the good part. Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, yes. That's how I read that. Boundaries are the hard part. And <laughs> <laughs> now comes the good part. <laughs> oh, Mine dumb. says doors are opening for you. Oh, see. I wonder what kind of doors. Well, they better be good ones that include us both. Hopefully they're not hopefully they're not doors leading to dark basements where no. I get no, told to put no. the lotion on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Silence of the lambs. Oh. <laughs> Where's your head going, Kendra? Silence of the lambs. Nothing Put the naughty. On. We're just all over the place, guys. Um. Anyway, so my dues are boundaries. Yes, alone time. Yeah, Always. lights off. <laughs> well, I'm stressed and I need some fucking yeah, sleep. Yeah, telling you what you need. So after we're done today, go get some alone I time am sleep. Going to take some sleeping medication and I am going to try and just zonk out. I really do need it. Just sleep all weekend. And hopefully my daughter will let me sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> That's we'll key. Hope so. Oh my don't. Don't double wink. So <laughs> I don't think I can even do that if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like <laughs> Look Looks really like funny. I'm having a stroke problem. Yeah. <laughs> don't match make. Okay. Yeah. None of that's needed. I don't want to be involved in anybody's love life anyway. Caught in the act. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds spicy. Yeah. Right. Um, my dues. This is really weird. Are hard hat, headlamp, and pickaxe. So apparently I need to go like digging Holy in a shit. cave this weekend or something. That's Got some weird. more rocks for me. I am. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's. Maybe I'll go find you some this weekend. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what they'll be. Even if you don't know what they are, I have that app that you can scan the rock and I'll tell you what it is <laughs> I mean I was gonna go hiking hopefully on Sunday yeah, which involves rocks. a headlamp but not a pickaxe or a hard hat well maybe don't it's hike telling scary. you to defend yourself from a bear or, or a man yeah in the woods yes uh, my don'ts are clutter I agree with that I need to clean my house this seriously weekend. I really need to declutter bosses I'm not doing any bosses today because he's <laughs> my boss is actually out of town I think today and then uh. door left ajar that's really random <laughs> Watch out for the boogeyman. <laughs> That's what Weird. that means. Door There's a new boogeyman movie coming out, I think, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about a true crime story that's been going on in Denver. Oh, okay. Because nice. to me, I don't know why this just has been, I guess, frightening me in a way, because it's just this random act of violence that I just don't understand. Yeah. And so when I first read about this, it, they hadn't caught the people, but they did catch them, thankfully. Uh, so there was a girl, her name was Alexa Bartel. She was 20 years old and she was driving home in Arvada area, like out kind of in the middle of nowhere where Rocky Ooh, Flats I'm over that is. I'm over that way a lot for work stuff. Anyways, it was like 1045 at night and she was on the phone with one of her best friends and then just all of a sudden the line went silent and her friend tracked her down because she knew something happened. She called her back and she wasn't answering and she tracked down where her phone was and she actually drove to the location. Ooh, is where it like share is. your friends? A lot of kids yes. do that these yeah. days. They and this all is a 20 year old beautiful girl and she drove there and she found her friend off the side of the road and she was dead inside of her car. Aww. And so what they found out is that someone had hurled a large landscaping rock out of a truck oh. and into her windshield and it oh my God. just hit her 
her and killed her instantly. And now they've tracked it down. And so there were seven people who on the same day reported having these huge rocks come through their windshield. And it was from a truck driving. So it was a two lane road. And so it would be a truck passing them and it would just come out. Like someone in the back of a truck just hurling them out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the police were able to, it's not a real populated area. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And they were able to triangulate and figure out what cell phone signals were there. And they traced it down to these three 18 year old boys. Oh, of course. And um, they interviewed, I guess one of them worked at a tire shop and one of the co-workers said he knew they were doing that. They were going to Walmart to buy landscaping rocks to just go out. And he said he was like, I don't want any part of whatever the fuck y'all are doing. And it sounds like this one kid who was the ringleader just enjoyed creating chaos and just had this idea of like, what else are we going to do on a Friday night? Let's just go throw landscaping rocks at people. Oh and now gosh. there's a 20 year old girl oh, dead for no reason. That but is so sad. They, they arrested these three assholes, but just 18 year old kids. And I don't know. And they're set for trial next week but for whatever reason I got sucked into this story and it just scares me because you're just yeah. driving and there's nothing you can do to prevent this right if somebody no. wants to do it and no. this apparently has happened all over the nation where people just throw rocks from like overpasses people have died just like, to cause chaos just because they're bored just because they're bored these guys went to Walmart to buy big rocks yes they loaded up the back of the pickup truck and then they put some in the back seat and there was a guy that apparently was standing up are they dumb I mean they don't look very smart in their okay. pictures so they go and buy the evidence load up a pickup truck and then just one by one release them on people randomly and apparently they were like standing up there was like a sunroof or something they were throwing it out and then here's the really fucked up part is they knew they hit this girl they saw her go off the road and they drove back to take a picture of her car off the side of the road they didn't get out to check and see if she was okay or whatever they just wanted a picture for their memories that's what one of the guys said when they were interviewing the three wow just evil yeah i don't don't understand it Mm. i don't get it but no that's crazy it's very disturbing very disturbing and it happened you know right around the corner from where we live yeah so that's my you know uplifting news I wanted to share about this week (laughs) no now we need something else because I'm about to give you guys some too I have an idea um since you did the horoscope you gifted me this wonderful tarot deck you know I mentioned that I went to the crystal shop last week yeah and while I was there I bought this book and it's called 78 degrees of wisdom Mm. and it's by Rachel Pollock and apparently she's like a really famous tarot I feel like I've heard her name, honestly. I asked the lady who was a tarot reader, I said, what's the best book to help me interpret tarot yeah. cards? I just got a deck and I want to learn more. And so this goes into detail about every single card in the deck. And I thought it'd be fun to just pull a card and Yay. talk about it. Yeah. Because we can we're learn learning together <laughs> and we can share our yeah. knowledge with you guys. So nice. I'm going to let Jessica draw a card. Ooh, I haven't seen the cards yet. I know. They're so beautiful. I just bought it based on the image. Pull a card. Any card. Hmm. I'm going to ask a question in my brain and I will not tell you okay if you give me a good answer or not <laughs> um what card do you have the knight of pentacles knight of pentacles okay let me look it up I feel like well pentacles has to do with well it's money, money but I feel like this is like a baby step of some kind I'm very interested in this card okay so knight of pentacles the knight's responsibility for action brings out the suit's practical qualities he is responsible hardworking uncomplaining. In his best sense, he is deeply rooted to the outer world and to simplicity, a quality suggested by the way his horse stands firmly on the ground with its rider sitting upright. Hmm. Though he also holds a pinnacle, he does not look at it, but instead stares over it. 
The symbolism suggests that he has lost sight of the source and meaning of his strength in life. In dedicating himself to purely practical matters, he has cut himself off from the deeper things in earth. Does that resonate? Mm. Huh. I'm thinking on that for a second. So it sounds like to me, the way I'd interpret that is that you're focused too much on the practical aspects of life and you're just working. To me, it sounds like the Knight of Pentacles is like too focused on work. past the pentacle Mm -hmm. as in like he's not focused on money. So I looked it up online just to help give us a little more perspective. And the key words that are here for Knight of Pentacles is hard work, productivity, routine, and conservatism. And then it says, when you receive this card, it represents work, effort, and the responsibility that follows upon the dreams and ideals of the page. So I guess the page comes before the knight mm-hmm. in, the, yeah. in the suit. The knight is the most hardworking, methodical, and detail-oriented character of the tarot deck. He may not be the most inspiring or creative knight, but he'll do the work to get the results he seeks, even if that work is highly repetitive or routine. My God, it's literally just fucking your regular driving me. Uh, that doesn't answer my question. It just tells you what you already Keep know. Keep doing the same thing. You'll get there someday. <laughs> That's how uh, I take it. No, <laughs> well, maybe you no, will. Thank you. Just sounds kind of yeah no. okay. Well, I this wasn't was happy to with be, that one. This was Thanks. supposed to be positive, and I did not. Well, you know, achieve that the pentacles today. are the suit of money. Capricorn. And oh, money. is it? Is it an Earth sign? It's an Earth sign. Yeah. So it really was just like, oh, you want to know who you are? Here you are. I'm like, yeah, but I want to be a little bit more spicy. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe you need to ask it a different question next time. Uh, I can't because it's been the same question I've had in my mind for like uh. two years. Well. Stop focusing on things is maybe what it says. But that's the problem is I'll get really into a flow of doing something that makes me happy or I feel is creative and or takes me in a different direction. But then work or something else just drags me down and I have no more minutes left in the day. And next thing you know, I am just on autopilot and exhausted and getting pimples. Screw that. (laughs) Fuck pimples. All right. Okay. let's talk about what you got for Uh, us today. Okay, I might need to take one breath. Okay, before you start, I'm going to pour some more champagne. And mm-hmm. my favorite saying, I heard this long time ago, what? it's tiny bubbles, tiny troubles. Tiny bubbles, tiny troubles, or exactly. tiny bubbles, big troubles? Tiny bubbles, tiny troubles. It's supposedly, if you have smaller bubbles in your champagne, oh. you're not going to have as bad of okay. a hangover. I I was addressing it the other way. What were you thinking? Tiny bubbles. Big troubles? Big troubles. (laughs) Big bubbles, big troubles. (laughs) Well, yes. Here, let's cheers because it's been a fucking week. week. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so today I'm talking about a controversial case. Okay. Sean Sellers. Hmm, I don't know him. He was at the time the first person under the age of 18 to be executed in 40 years. His crime was under the age of 18. Okay. And he was sentenced to death and he was executed. So it was the first time in 40 years that that had happened. There's a lot of information on this one. It's just all over because he was in a a lot of interviews. There's lots of videos, lots of confessions, lots and lots and lots on him. Okay. So a lot of the information that I'm going to be giving is actually from his own confessions over the years, which is controversial to do too. But I feel a lot of it is honesty. I don't feel like he's hiding a lot of this stuff anymore. And to me, let's just say he didn't have an easy life. And we're going to go through his life. And he Mm -hmm. doesn't paint 
the people in his life in a kind way. Okay. But, you know, use that to your own discretion. You know, this is coming from, and it's not all from him, but a lot of it is because there is so much from him that I get to quote him a lot here. So, okay. And you don't get that in every case. No. So, and I feel like through his confessions, I was able to paint the picture better chronologically. Okay. When going through other people's work or whatnot and things on him. It just wasn't done in a very good way. And I got confused and lost when certain things were happening. So through his confessions, I feel like I was able to piece it together when certain things occurred Mm -hmm. a lot easier than how other people had presented it. I like that. Yeah. I like to do the chronological as well. I did my best to keep it in order. Yeah. It's always hard when you're doing true crime to figure out the best way to present it because everyone does have their own flavor of how they want to but I feel like his childhood because this happened when he was still a child is Mm -hmm. really really important so that's why I wanted to make sure that I was from birth to when the crimes happened this is what all went down right led to that so Sean killed a man that he didn't know okay in 1985 and then he killed his mother and his stepfather in 1986 but before I get to that let's start from the beginning and see what led him to do that right How old was he when he committed these crimes? He was 16. Wow. That's the age of my youngest child. I know. I can't imagine. It's hard to imagine. Like even just thinking of myself at 16. Right. Yeah. So it's very important. Yeah. yeah, To understand what to lead someone at 16 to commit three murders of his own mother, his mother, his stepfather and a random person. So, okay. Sean Richard Sellers was born May 18th, 1969 in Corcoran, Kings County, California, which interestingly enough is home to California State Prison and it has a welcome sign listing it as the farming capital of California. So it's a pretty rural area. Mm -hmm. He was born to Richard Sellers and Vonda Maxine Blackwell and she was 16 at the time. Mm -hmm. His parents married about a year before Sean was born. So early marriage. Wow. So she was 15 when she got married. Yeah. 1969 though. I still feel like that was... Really young to get married even then. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the story Rural behind area, that. Yeah, maybe. Well, his father was an artist. From what I found on him, he was a good artist. But he was an unstable alcoholic. Oh. He couldn't keep a job. Mm. And he liked to cheat on Vonda uh, a lot. So that, uh, Yeah, so they ended up splitting up when Sean was three years old. Good for her. Get out of that. Yeah. Vonda and Sean moved back to Oklahoma where she grew up. She raised him alone with the help of family members while she worked. She worked full time. She met Paul Lee Bellafato, who was a truck driver. He went by Lee. Prior to meeting Lee, Vonda was working full time. But once she saw that Lee could take care of them, she became a stay at home mom after marrying him. Lee was now Sean's stepfather. And he's the only father that Sean knows. Right. And remembers. He doesn't remember anything about his biological father. Being a stay-at-home mom didn't last long, though, for her as the recession hit in the 70s and they needed more income. So she decided to join Lee truck driving. She became a truck driver, too, or they were like a team? They were a team truck driving unit, yeah. Sean doesn't remember much before the age of five. His first memory was being dropped off with his grandfather, Jim Blackwell, in Oklahoma. He called him Papa, and his grandfather was married to a lady named Geneva, so it was his Mm step-grandmother. He did call her grandma. Jim's parents were also there, so Sean's great-grandparents. He just remembers her leaving him. So she was 21 at the time, and in a confession by Sean later in life, he said, 
I only saw her when she managed to make it in every few weeks. And every time she and dad left, I smiled, waved goodbye, and went to the bathroom, closed the door, and cried. Every time. So we felt abandoned. Yeah. And never once did I let anyone see me do it. So... Oh, that makes you feel sad for yeah. the little Well, child. he's young. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he never has his mom around. So in school, he was doing pretty well and he was able to make friends, but he always felt a little different, even as a young child, because he didn't share a last name with any of his family. His mom took on the Bella Fato name, Bella Fato. Sorry, I might go in between that in this case. Okay. <laughs> well, she took on his last name as her last name and his grandparents were Blackwell and he was the only one with sellers. Mm-hmm. He didn't understand divorce at such a young age no. and he was just confused. He lived with his grandparents for a while, but they knew that they couldn't take care of him long term the way that he needed it. Geneva, his step grandmother, also kind of found him to be pretty needy. So eventually his parents picked him up and they all moved to California when Sean was eight. Okay. To Los Angeles. It was a massive shock for Sean. Yeah. Oklahoma to L.A. Yeah. Big difference. (laughs) The school he ended up going to, he described as being as big as the entire town he lived in in Oklahoma. Just the school. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, And where he lived at first was not cool for him. Like it was not a comfortable place for him. Everybody spoke Spanish. So he already he felt like he couldn't talk to anybody. And he was living somewhere where children weren't allowed. Um, Yeah. They were living with Lee's Aunt Terry and children were not allowed in this. Oh, it was like a retirement community or something. Yeah. So instead of being a kid who got to play outside and climb on trees and somewhere where he knew his neighbors or other people in town, he had to be very quiet. He was yelled at a lot. And he admits later in life to having been molested there by an older relative. He didn't say anything at first because he thought he was going to get in trouble and he was ashamed. But in a confession, Sean said that he was made to do stuff to this man. At what age? Eight? Yep, this is eight. Oh, that breaks my heart. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat what he had to do. But also I found in some other stuff later, I didn't include it in here because it was kind of something I found last minute this morning, to be honest. But he also had some scars on his own penis from From the molestation. Yeah from this stuff so now he's in LA and at school he was a new kid he was actually a minority there and he didn't have any friends and he was bullied a lot by older kids who were bigger than him and he had his first encounter with gangs he was definitely the odd one out and his parents were gone a lot even when they weren't on the road they were gone a lot and the only person he really could talk to was his babysitter Mm -hmm. and his babysitter gave him his first introduction to satanism the occult and black magic She would bring books with her and tell him all about it. He read through the books and found out about demons and rituals. He didn't tell anyone about this, but he was very interested in it. He took one of her books and he kept it hidden and would continue to like pull it out and read it and look at it over the years. And he learned about black magic and demons and Satan and it became his escape and it helped him to feel connected to something something outside of his life. In the midst of all this change, skipping back a couple of years, Sean actually began hearing voices at the age of six. And okay, so this was before he moved from Oklahoma. This is before he moved from Oklahoma, but all of the leaving happened, like him being left from his mom and everything. This happened prior. So he like created uh, his own so, person to talk to, it almost sounds like, in his yeah, head. Because his mom is, was gone. This is part of the argument later on. Yeah. How this came about. So we will come back to this. But this is when he said he started hearing voices was at the age of six. 
He said that they were loud voices that criticized him. Mm. And he said that they were angry and controlling. But he eventually learned to deal with them. He just thought it was normal and that everybody else had these voices in their head, too. And he had nobody to talk to on a regular basis. Yeah. So these weren't like for some reason, when you first said that, I thought he was like creating like an imaginary friend Mm. in his head. This sounds much worse. He's, you know, he's referring to multiple voices and criticizing him and telling, oh, my God. Yeah. They weren't in Los Angeles for a long time. His parents weren't doing well with money and signed on to a new trucking line. So he went back to his grandparents in Oklahoma. He admits it was at this time that he came back as a different kid with a lot of anger inside of him. Mm-hmm. He does now, you know, attribute some of that to the molestation that nobody knew about um, and just being yelled at all the time and being yeah, somewhere told to be quiet yeah, when you're and bullied a kid and, and you're yeah. supposed to be out there playing and discovering LA wasn't the world. A, LA wasn't a good place for him. No. So he came back, though, after having met that babysitter and these books and stuff with a new fascination with Satan. His grandfather and his step-grandmother, Geneva, ended up splitting in 1979. It didn't seem to affect Sean because he was actually happy to be back in Oklahoma because that's where he, he felt more he safe, knew some comfortable people. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Even back then, his teachers thought he was a good kid and he really, really loved to read. But because of his constant moving, he never made any lasting friendships and instead mm-hmm. would just isolate himself. He didn't find the point in trying to make new friends. And over time, he understandably just began to detach himself from reality. Over the next few years, he was moved several times and without his parents quite often. He only lived in a house for a few months at a time and never lived in the same town for more than a year. So his life was very unstable. Yeah. His stepfather was a former Green Beret. He was very strict And he thought that Sean was very sensitive. Mm. Many sources described him as being very close with his parents. But it's pretty clear that over time, he simply grew to have a lot of resentment with how his life turned out and what he had to deal with. He doesn't remember early years of his mom kindly. I found things that she would describe him as a perfect kid. Okay. But this is what he says. Well, then there were things like mom's temper. She always spanked me with a belt and she also hit me. She would slap me in the face, mashed my mouth, a flat palm straight on blow to the lips that mashed my lips into my teeth. She did that when I got mouthy and it made my lips swell. It always shut me up, though. She hit me in the head with wooden mixing spoons, butcher knife handles, hairbrushes, whatever she had in her hand. Usually it was because I said something wrong or if she was cutting my hair and I was fidgeting. I never knew what would get me smacked, so I learned to be very careful around mom. I walked on eggshells and avoided her when I could. I tried to live in my room as much as possible. I hated her as much as I loved her. Oh, my God. So, like, he was just being abused for being a normal child. And yeah, and sadly, he also received beatings from his grandfather. Oh, God. Well, this was part of, I think that generation felt like spanking and all of that was normal. Violence seemed to be tolerated and encouraged in the Blackwell family, it seemed. His stepfather and uncle started taking him hunting at the age of 10, calling him a wimp and soft, wanting him to prove himself by killing animals to toughen him up. Yeah, that's really going to help you out. And he never wanted to hurt animals. He loved animals and he wanted to be a veterinarian. But he witnessed some pretty gruesome things on these hunting trips. He was taught to step on an animal's head and pull on its legs to kill it or to put an axe on an animal's head and pull its legs until its body separated from its head. That's fucked up. Yeah. At 10? 10. Sean never wanted to take part of any of it. 
He refused, but was eventually shamed into killing a deer. They called him, yeah, know, baby or whatever. He had to learn all that stuff after that, like that they cut off its genitals, and he had to see all that no, happen. No, is that not part of it? I don't hunt, and I never I will. Could so never hunt. I cry if I smash spiders, so yeah, I can't. But after every single humping trip, humping. <laughs> That's a whole different story. <laughs> Look how. <laughs> Okay. After okay. every hunting trip, <laughs> he came back pretty darn depressed. Yeah. Understandably. I I too. Because he did not want to hurt animals. But he felt obligated to be masculine or whatever. Well, they were... He's out there with two grown men calling him names and yeah. this and that. I mean, eventually. And he's afraid they're, they're going to beat it. him probably if they're yeah. already beating him. Well, his his uncle wasn't a nice dude either. At one point, his uncle was living with them and his uncle would humiliate him by making him wear diapers uh, at the age of 12 and 13 because Sean was wetting the bed. I mean, oh my God. I mean that just goes to show you some of the trauma though yeah, leading trauma, up to that yeah. point. And if Sean went to bed two nights in a row, he was made to wear the diaper on his head all day by his uncle. And was were like, people that's going to solve him? it? Come yeah. on, dude. Like, yeah. like he's doing that on purpose. Nobody wets the bed on purpose. You no. Asshole. No. No. So in 1981, Sean was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons and became obsessed with it. This is interesting because Dungeons and Dragons is out in the theater. And I almost went to go see that yesterday. Have, okay. <laughs> I remember because I was an 80s child, like my brother wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons Mm -hmm. and my parents who were super religious wouldn't let him because like back Mm -hmm. in the 80s, that was considered Satanist. Yeah, you're probably about to go into this. But like, it's so funny because I've played Dungeons and Dragons before. My ex-husband was into it and it's nothing. (laughs) It's just imagination. It's fun. Right. It's silly. It's like a role playing imagination game. Nothing. Yeah, anyways, keep going. I can see how, just, like, if you're, like, in a group that, like, just gets super crazy with your imagination and you make it R-rated and, like, you're like yeah, X-rated in weird ways. But, any, but you can like, do that with anything. It's not right. specific to this it's, game. I just, yeah, I can see where this is going now. I'm yeah. sure they're going to blame Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Well, he became obsessed with it. It was a way for him to escape and oh. use his, ma- you, why can't I say use Use his, his imagination. Use his imagination. Well, think about who usually gets into Dungeons and Dragons. It's not like the popular kids. It's the ones looking to escape. And in that game, you get to be a different character. So right. it totally makes sense. You sure. would become obsessed. Yeah. He, he hates his life. It He's was a for fantasy a, refuge. Yeah. You know, like you said, there was this frenzy in the panic in the 80s. Satanic lo- panic. Satanic <laughs> panic. A lot of crimes and deaths were or they were attempting to link to it. One case actually that started a lot of this panic, I found out, was a young man named James Eckbert III. Okay. He was a 16-year-old boy. He was extremely smart. He was already a college student at MSU, Michigan State University. He went missing, and his father attributed it to the game. <laughs> like <laughs> Said, my son's missing because of Dungeons and Dragons. It's not Jumanji, dude. <laughs> yeah. But that got around. News picked it up. It became part of I, what started yeah. all of this. But he was later found in Louisiana. He was depressed. He was addicted to drugs already, under a lot of pressure, as a young college student. Yes, normal. And he attempted suicide several Mm. times during this missing period, including in the tunnels underneath the college itself. Um, There's actually a name to this. I forget what it's called. The Crips? (laughs) (laughs) The Crips of something. He tried down there, sadly. He did eventually let a private investigator that was searching for him find out, you know, let him know where he was then. 
and he was picked up in Louisiana. But sadly, a year later, he completed it and shot himself. So, you know, Benny ignored the fact that the crimes or self-inflictions that they were trying to tie to this game were just people ignoring mental illness and depression. Yeah. In those that became attracted to that game because it was an escape. Right. So they're not looking at the real fucking issue there. Right. The fact that the people drawn to that game already have major issues in their regular life. And some don't either. It's just that, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, wow, I can do this too. And I don't like my life. So maybe I'll like my Mm -hmm. life if I'm part of this. And it has nothing to do with the game. If anything, the game was probably keeping them happy. And semi happy. I think the thing that people lose sight of is like Dungeons and Dragons is a very social thing too. Like that's a group of people you get to hang out with weekly to play that game. Mm -hmm. So it's like a friend group that he didn't have otherwise. I honestly don't know enough about it. All I know is that it received a lot of harsh criticism and it was considered dangerous. You know, all the Christian groups went against it. And at the time of Sean's trial, his defense argued that Sellers was addicted to the game and had no control over his actions. So they used that as their defense. But Sellers, even later from prison, said, using my past as a common example of side effects of the game is either irrational or fanatical. Yep. He claims it had no part in my nothing, crimes. Nothing, had nothing at all. to do with my crimes. But his mother found out about it in the 80s mm-hmm. and she wasn't having any part of it. And she sent him to church camp in 1982. Oh, yeah, that's going to fix it all. <laughs> I've been sent to church camp. Let's just pray it out of you. <laughs> Conversion, therapy, oh, really? all of that You've bullshit. to church camp? I went to church camp like every year from fifth grade through 10th grade. Wow. I have not done that. I went to Girl Scout camp. Yeah, that would have been better. Church camp was fun. Well, I didn't go uh, to Girl Scout camp. I went to horse camp. Horse camp. Yeah. Where you got to- <laughs> Church camp was fun outside of all the forced worship. <laughs> like singing and yeah. you had to like sit in a lot of Bible classes. But the rest of the time you're just hanging out and yeah. doing like arts and crafts. At least you're not around swimming. your parents at that age, right? Is that, that was my thing. Yeah. And friends were there. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There were probably groups of people playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <in church camp. laughs> probably. Well, he liked it at the time anyway. Because he's away from his parents. Well, part of why is because... He became obsessed with a girl at church camp Mm, and he he thought he really loved her and he believed that if God would help her love him back, then he would devote himself to God instead. Okay. But that did not happen and she did not love him back. And so he didn't like God again and it ultimately solidified his interest and his obsession in the occult. Mm. By the age of 13, he admits to having a lot of anger inside of him and he became very rebellious. When he was angry, he would go to his room and rip things up or go outside and kick a tree until he actually really hurt his foot. Uh, Yeah. He started to self-mutilate and the voices in his head became louder and louder and more paranoid. He recalls tying threads to his doors to see if anyone had come into his room or he would actually brush the carpet all in one direction to see if someone had been in his space. While he wasn't at 13, he's thinking this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole level of paranoia. Yes. At one point when he was 13, a cousin, Stephen, came to live with him for a while. And Stephen was 18. And he introduced Sean to ninjutsu. And he really, 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 really liked it. Ninjutsu. Is that a type of martial arts? Yes. Okay. And he idolized him in a way. Not necessarily because of that. Well, he noticed that his father talked to Stephen a lot and for a long time and liked to hang out with him. And Mm. his father never hung out with him and he didn't seem to like him. And they never did anything together outside of their hunting trips or they would be gone for weeks on end. 
So he wanted to be like Steven so that his dad would like like him. him. So he became very interested in ninjutsu and martial arts. But he ended up living with yet some other family members for a time. His uncle James and Aunt Debbie in in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. That's a mouthful. Sean stated, James ridiculed me, made fun of me, and thought I was quite foolish for spending money on martial arts lessons. He laughed and teased me when he heard that my instructor had gotten his jaw broken in a bar fight. We've all been there. Yeah. We've all, we've all had our jaws broken at bar I mean, fights. he was just looking the other way and the guy caught him from behind. He did not behind. have martial arts on the mind. But what an asshole uncle. Like, you don't need to make fun of, like, a young kid that's trying to learn something new. It's like, just the interest, fuck you, dude. Yeah. I, I just don't get adults picking on no, young no. kids that you just, know are struggling already. Come on. And have some compassion. Thing, Nobody's in his life for a long enough to period of time to even know what everybody's doing yeah. to him. So he says all that, plus the fact that I had moved yet again to another school in the middle of the year only added to all my anger. And the books I was finding on ninjutsu were demonstrating ways to kill people. Ninjutsu was never a martial art of self-defense. Today, it has evolved to that. But originally, the ninja were soldiers whose art was assassination. And that was it. Mm. Nothing else. The books I was reading about ninjutsu talked about killing people. There were photographs showing step-by-step demonstrations with instructions how to kill someone with a knife, a stick, and your bare hands. Wow. Not self-defense demonstrations, but ways to sneak up on someone and kill them. The philosophy of it was Zen. And they were worried about him playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, we'll buy you some of these books. And his dad was very, very happy about Steven and his stuff. Because that was masculine and cool. Well, he went to a movie with his mom, dad, and Steven. First Blood. He, oh. He bought Rambo when it came out and read it and realized that Rambo was a Buddhist who learned to kill without a conscience. Mm. He learned that karma rules life. He said, quote, it is the karma of fate of some people to die and the karma of others to kill them. Oh. Dad killed people in Vietnam. Being able to do so and not be bothered by it was a sign of strength to him. The scene in First Blood where Rambo breaks down and cries, that was weak to dad. Mm. I didn't want to kill anyone. I just wanted to have that strength. I wanted to be like dad and be able to shrug and say, it's not hard to kill someone. Like I'd heard him say to Steven and knew with conviction that he Uh, had done it. I watched the Rambo movies growing up. Yeah. I'm like, it's crazy what they let us watch in the 80s. I know. Some of them are ridiculous. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Yeah. We're all traumatized probably in some way. And now like, I mean, those movies are still there too. You know what it was? All those movies that I watched when I was younger, I would just go to my friend's house who had cable and we didn't Uh and I'd spend the night or something and then we'd get to stay up and watch like HBO Yes. <laughs> yeah, same. I remember that. And Cinemax and yeah. Showtime, I think, was around then, too. Every, quote, scary movie that I saw was always at a friend's house. Yeah, my parents were real strict yeah. about so many things. But we watched, like, Rambo, and we watched Alien, and we watched Platoon. Oh. Like, we watched some fucked up things, if you really think about it. Yeah. But they were so strict in a lot of ways. I don't even think they realized what we were mm-hmm. watching. It was just like go in our bedroom because they'd have friends over they're like just go in our bedroom and watch a movie and we <laughs> watch whatever the fuck they kind of sound like they were from this time go in your room and watch a movie they were this yeah because isn't this happening in the 80s yeah yeah so it's totally my childhood i, I was this, born in I 1980 this time right now this day oh. and age <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, right over my head uh, okay. yeah i guess you know all parents are like just leave me alone sometimes yeah Well, you kind of touched on this. You know, it's really difficult when you feel like you need to impress your parents. Yes. I mean, it's sad. You know, 
I hope I never get that way with my daughter. No, like parents are supposed to be the source of unconditional love and you know mm-hmm. you can do whatever and yeah. they're still going to love you. Yep. And when you're criticized by your parents, like that just sets you up for, I mean, not always murder, but lots <laughs> of therapy. Always, not always murder. No, <laughs> you're correct on that. <laughs> I mean, murder is an extreme, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> You'd like to murder them sometimes, maybe. Um, <laughs> no, like for my daughter, like I don't care what she chooses in life. Right. You're going to love her. And I feel like, you know, he just he never had any mm-hmm. stability in that whatsoever. No. And but his mom was also 16 years old when she had him. I so know. She, she was, was a prepared. Prepared. She was a kid herself. No. And then she was constantly gone. So really, yeah. she honestly didn't really ever get to a point of being like a mom, mom. mom there yeah. either. Because his parents did continue to be gone for weeks and he would stay with Whatever, whoever, re- whatever whoever was relatives available. were available or a babysitter. They yeah. you know, they just weren't around. And they didn't see what they were doing to him and the psychological damage that they were no. causing. With their absence and the abuse, he began to just delve deeper into the occult and black magic and began focusing on the power it would give him mm. because he wanted to feel in control because he had no He other, had no control of his no life. Control. He was just thrown here and there. Yep. In 1983, his parents moved him to Greeley, Colorado. Oh, we yeah. know that place. It's just a little bit north from here. North. Northeast. East. Yeah. Not too far from us. I've actually been there quite a few times for work stuff back yeah. in the day. He actually loved it here. Well, Colorado's great. I yeah. can see that. He became a member of the Civil Air Patrol. He studied emergency response training, became the cadet commander of his squadron, and graduated with outstanding honors. Wow. He made some friends, and his dad was actually proud of him for what he had accomplished, or so So, he said. Okay. So for the first time in his teenage years, he was happy. Good. Sean was really, really happy. But then can you guess what happened? Uh, They moved him. Oh, how long were they in Greeley? So he was only there for like a year. So it was the best year of his life, probably. Probably. So he didn't want to leave, obviously. Mm-hmm. He begged them to let him stay Yeah, by himself. Just that he just didn't want to go. He had friends for yeah. the first time. And he, and he, was he liked doing, his life here. Yeah. They didn't let him, of course. And they all moved back to Oklahoma. In all, by the time Sean was 16, he moved over 30 times. Wow. Yeah. Like, fuck, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine all the different schools and places? Like, of he course. never had time to make any kind of friends. You can't make friends. And no. like, I mean, he's and so he stopped 15, 30 times. To. That's like six yeah. months at the most, you know, average. So that was the last straw for Sean. He said this is when something truly broke inside of him. He didn't try to make any friends. He kept to himself. And this is when he truly became obsessed with God and Satan good and evil okay. in the occult. By the age of 15 and 16, he was practicing satanic rituals daily. Mm. He started to really look into Satanism. Once he started to understand Satanism more, he realized that most of his family lived this way, but they called it Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They didn't go more. to church or like 
talk about God, except when she's like sending him to fucking church camp and stuff. Right. He was mad at God. He felt that he had been failed by God spiritually. Yeah. He said, quote, mom and dad cussed like the truck drivers they had been for so <laughs> many years. Mom bought me a box of condoms when I was 13 and my what? dad told me to use them. We'd stolen stuff out of the trucks dad drove. I'd seen mom lie to people's faces to get a deal or sell something. My aunt and uncle and mom and dad smoked pot and bought speed. So what is the point of pretending to serve God when we lived like Satanists? Mm. Not to mention the turmoil of his life and otherwise and like the abuse. Satanism taught me, this is him saying, that I should make my own rules to live by in life. And that's just what everyone I'd grown up around did. So I got very involved in Satanism. I truly thought it was an honest way to live. And the rituals of it would enable me to control my life. Even then, I didn't want to kill anyone. That desire did not start until later. Okay. He started carrying around a copy of the Satanic Bible. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? I've heard that it exists. I've never okay. like seen so, one or anything. Me it's either. just the opposite of the Bible? Or? Well, I'm going to go into it a little bit because I yeah, think I know. it's interesting to try and understand Satanists versus what he has done. Yeah, I know okay. nothing about it. So. so Sellers read the Satanic Bible by Anton Xander LaVey okay. obsessively. LaVey is the founder of San Francisco's Church of Satan. I haven't read the book, obviously. <laughs> You're not <laughs> but part I, of the Church of Satan. I am not. But I wanted to know like what the basic principles are. Yeah. So I was actually reading a piece from a 1968 newspaper. 1968. So fun to find shit from that long ago. Um, And it was from a writer who had visited the church and interviewed LaVey. Okay. It was somewhat comical, like the newspaper itself, because it was Satan and like all surrounding him Mm -hmm. was like 12 Christian church ads. (laughs) In the the paper. I need to show you the picture or something. It was really funny. So LaVey actually has a really interesting history himself before becoming the founder of this church. He was once a lion trainer with the Clyde Beatty Circus. Okay. He was an organist for a burlesque show on the weekdays, Mm. but for the church on Sundays. A regular (laughs) church, not a a Satanist church. So he's playing at the burlesque shows and then. Yeah, I mean, they just wanted him. They they just wanted him for his skills. Right. (laughs) And he didn't mind looking at the girls. No, of course. He just was an organist. It was a thing back then. Okay. Right. Organist. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to any organist today. Since 1956, he was very interested in, involved with black magic and sorcery, and he studied many philosophers. I found some information about his church. So I'm assuming that like what he says, because a lot of this was quoted by him himself, is what you may find in the Satanic Bible. So I didn't go find a copy and read it, but he describes the principles. He said that members of the Church of Satan are encouraged to indulge in the seven deadly sins. Oh, These indulgences led to mental and physical gratification, which is man's true and only means for living on earth. He said that these so-called sins were declared sins by the Christian church only to ensure guilt on the part of their followers. (laughs) I don't disagree. It kind of makes sense (laughs) to me. So at first I thought, wow, there's like a lot of logic to this stuff that I was reading. I mean, never before did I have an interest in looking into Satanism. But it's been interesting to learn a bit more. But at many, many points, it does kind of sharply divert from my own personal feelings or, you know, my understanding of being a spiritual being. Right. Having a human existence. So that's just my opinion. And I judge no one. 
if you're a Satanist and you're, but you're not involved in doing all this you're more not sinister stuff anyone or hurting no, any others. Yeah. Do you? Yep. But there was one part, I'll be honest. And this was from the 1968 newspaper and this guy who was invited to interview and watch the yeah. proceedings. There was a naked woman on the altar mm-hmm. who's laying out on this altar and members came up to, instead of confess your sins, confess your desires oh. to her. Okay. The woman is said to represent the living force of life to the members. So you can imagine 1968, this guy's like, I'm just here to interview and there's just a naked, naked woman lady. with a bush. And, and she's I go just tell her <laughs> what I want to do to her. <laughs> just, I mean, what are these desires? Honestly, uh, think about it a little bit. Anyway, I'd be a little scared if I was yeah. the girl laying there naked. And then he was like, it was very strange because after that, they all went to a different room and had coffee and donuts. <laughs> He's like, the social period after the startling service is the only similarity and the to any luck. Christian <laughs> denomination. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So I'm going to read you, though, the nine principles that formulate the basic philosophy of the Church of Satan. Okay. At least according to him in 1968. I'm not sure if they've changed. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go too far down this road. I feel like I'm already diverting too much. But this is actually really important. I'm interested. To separate Satanism and the Church of Satan from Sean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence okay satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams satan represents undilified wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit okay satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates (laughs) (laughs) so no unconditional love here Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Mm. Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. Satan represents man as just another animal, sometimes better, more often worse than those that walk on all fours. That's true. Yeah. Who, because of his divine spiritual and intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all. I can't disagree there. Okay. Satin. 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 I knew Satin was going to come out at some point. I mean. Satan. They're fucking spelled the same, okay? You can say it however you want. I'm going to start calling him Satin. Then he sounds nicer. Did I I just just say they're spelled the same? They are not spelled the same. What is wrong in my brain right now? Satin has an I, okay? You know how to spell basic words. Mm. (laughs) I went to college, okay? I believe you. I believe you, Jessica. It's Satan and Satin. Satan and Satin. Satan likes to sit in some satin. He wears red satin, I I would assume. (laughs) Or some black satin. Black satin. When he's feeling spicy. I'm pretty sure all these Satanists are just fucking in beds of satin. I could see that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that girl on the altar was on some satin. Probably. So satin and Satan go together. Satin and Satan. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Satan and satin. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Satan represents all of the so-called sins as they all lead to physical or mental gratifications. And Satan has been the best friend the Christian church has ever had as he has kept it in business for years. <laughs> he keeps them coming back. I mean, you can't, they're afraid of him. You can't disagree with that because it's all about the guilt and the, yeah, you know, give us money to not meet Satan. Yeah. So he does finish this particular interview by saying, but we teach our people to satisfy their desires by whatever means he finds necessary as long as it hurts no one. Okay. That's good. Who neither deserves nor wishes to be hurt. 
Mm. I'm just thinking BDSM stuff. So they're they're cool yeah. with that. But they're yeah. cool with that. But he even said that they allowed the Church of Satan members to read the Christian Bible mm-hmm. so long as it's practical and useful to them for whatever means that they're right. using it. I think it's important to mention here. There is a difference between organized Satanists and freelance Satanists, just like with any religion. Oh, yeah. There's no. always the crazy zealot. Yeah. Certain people are just whatever you want to call stream. them. Yeah. Well, that's what Sean did. Oh. I, you know, in combination with everything else that he was into in his life growing up, based on what LaVey just stated, though, you know, his victims, they were not willing sacrifices. They didn't deserve to be killed. Yes, his childhood was rubbish. And as many religious parents in the past did, you know, they tried to just push church on him. It'll fix them. Yeah, that'll fix everything. But they didn't wish to be hurt and especially not the man he didn't know. So he wasn't following at least the satanic Bible in the way it was. Right. They're not saying it's okay. Yeah. Ever. As Doug Messner, I found this interesting. This guy who kind of really looked into this case a little bit. I want to say he's like the oddball out in everything else that I read. Because he thinks that, from what I could tell after reading his opinion of him, Mm -hmm. that Sean just made everything up his whole life. Oh. I may be saying that wrong, but that's kind of how I took it. But that's not what I'm going to do. Because you'll see why later. But nowhere in the Bible did LaVey exhort readers to break the Ten Commandments, nor were his rituals contrived as channeled communions with supernatural beings. Rather, LaVey's rituals were meant to be enacted as cathartic psychodramas. Okay. LeVay didn't believe in Satan as a conscious entity, but regarded Satan as a symbol for one's inner self and motivating desires. Satan to LeVay was not a depersonalizing, subjugating force, but the exact opposite. Okay. So like I said, I didn't dive into the church in LeVay a bunch, so don't come at me for talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very aware that I don't know enough. I think I we've both kind of made that clear just over the last episodes, right. yeah. whether we would know a lot about this or not. But I wanted to give more information and context to the person who yeah. created this church, created and published this book because Sean used this. I mean, he misinterpreted it, very, it probably. Yeah, it, it was very important to him. He must have read this Bible hundreds of times during the age of 15 and 16. Even if it is his own interpretation, it obviously had a massive influence on him. But it was matched with everything else, possible mental illness. Mm -hmm. And overall, it's just not a good combination. No. Nobody's stable in his life. I mean, you're talking about literally everything being wrong for something to have gotten to this point. That's kind of how I've read his life so far. Yeah. He had no like he had like what that little glimpse of hope when he lived in Greeley, Colorado. But everything else in his life has been shit. Exactly. Honestly, you can't help but empathize with this child. It's hard. So now going back, Sean is back in Oklahoma. He's broken. He's pissed. He wanted to stay in Greeley. He didn't get to stay. And now he's carrying around this book everywhere. The voices in his head changed. He recognized them as demons, Mm -hmm. but was no longer scared of them. Instead, he started to want them to be around. Okay. Demons were the power he needed to get what he wanted, the control he so desperately needed in life. It was at this time that Sean started to have what he refers to as blackout periods. He couldn't remember what he was doing. It would even happen at school, sometimes while driving. Okay, that sounds dangerous. He said, I felt... So empty inside, cold. All that anger which had turned into contempt was now becoming a cold hatred toward mom, specifically, Mm. and by proxy toward dad. 
But even then, he didn't necessarily like how he was changing and he tried to get help. He called a prayer hotline. He went to prayer meetings. He talked to a priest. This one priest denounced Adam and Eve to him in a conversation. What does that mean? He was that he didn't believe that they existed in the history of the church. And he was frustrated with him because it was part of that priest's own teachings okay and so then he's just like uh, he's like how can i trust, trust your you help? yeah if you're yeah there was a baptist priest i believe from the church camp that he went to that his mom had asked to talk to him to help and he wouldn't help either so they are useless they're useless no one could help him and he felt doomed mm. he felt he had sold his soul to satan and he either needed to follow through with it or end his life He contemplated suicide often, but ultimately he just decided to go full throttle. But it was always this like switch on, switch off type of thing with him. Mm -hmm. One moment he would be okay and then the next depressed and then the next like angry beyond belief. He hooked back up with an old friend in Oklahoma. This kid was from his childhood. His name's Richard Howard. Okay. He found out that they had a similar childhood. Richard was also raised by his grandparents and he was also interested in the occult and involved in Satanism. So, yeah, quite the match, two honestly. Two peas in a pod, right two there. Two peas in a pod. They started to do rituals together. He also met and fell in love with a girl named Angel, who he met while working as a sort of bouncer at a teen club. Do you remember those? The teen clubs, <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh, Aww. teen clubs. Wow. True love, puppy love. Well, what kind of teen clubs do you go to? Mine were raunchy. I'm from New Mexico. Oh, really? <laughs> I was from small town Texas. They were always country. Oh, yeah. Ours were so different. <laughs> oh, my God. Not even close. You're like, oh, puppy love. I'm well, like, I was talking no, about like him and people. the girl that met, but oh. you're talking about like dirty dancing going on and I'm from the hood. Raunchy shit. Yeah. The hood. Yeah, I'm from yeah. the hood. I was from small town Texas and it was at like a Mine was called Blades for a while. Ours it, was like at the SBJST or whatever that <laughs> thing. You know what I'm talking about? I can't think of There was like this neighborhood one and like I didn't Blades. go to it often, <laughs> but there was one that was it was called Blades because it was like a roller skating ice rink place, but it okay. turned into everybody bringing blades. <laughs> and like, I'm sorry, this is knives. <laughs> an extension of Albuquerque. People are like literally having sex on the floor. Oh, no, I never saw that. I was in a dance competition once. <laughs> and you know what it was? It was literally just someone holding you and like, I can't even describe what it is. Like they're just like dry humping, dry humping you. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was in this dance. That competition. was the dance competition. You just dry humping a dude. Me not dry humping the dude. <laughs> I'm just like picture the guy holding you like that's literally all they did. That was like apparently a form of dance. No, but it was dirty back then. Wow. I remember walking in at like 11 years old. So I was like just starting to get into the scene, I guess. <laughs> and seeing like these teenagers literally on the floor on top of each other. And that was considered dancing in New Mexico at a teen club. That's crazy. When I was a kid. So, yeah. Super cool. I wonder if any of our parents knew what they were dropping us off to. Yeah, they thought you were just hanging out <laughs> and, and having not, ice cream I mean, or something. And I'm like, but this was like a place. <laughs> <laughs> No, ours was like you did the Texas two step and like some line dancing and oh, like yours was cute. Yeah. And I would see like my little high school crush there. I had to lie to my parents to go because dancing was forbidden. Allowed. Yeah. Because dancing was Did lustful. you grow up Baptist? I grew up Church of Christ. I don't know what that is. And you don't dance. It's like a more extreme version of Baptist. Okay. 
See, I had a friend growing up too, and she was not allowed to dance. And so I would sneak her out so that she could go dance. Yeah. I'm, I'm really upset because I think I would have been a good dancer if I had like been put into dance when I was younger Oh, and I never could. So now I feel silly if I go try and dance if in you my wiggle, 40s. If you wiggle your hips a little. I know. I tried to do a hip hop dance class uh, or it wasn't, it was like a workout class. And I'm like, this white girl don't have any moves. Oh, that's sad. Of course you do. I, yeah. Maybe that should start being your workout. Put on music and just figure out what your fucking body does. I know. Just start moving it around. I know. Wiggle a little this way. Wiggle wiggle a little that way. You know, some people, they really just do not have any. I have rhythm. Okay, good. I do have that. And yeah, I can shake my butt. But yeah. I just... I have faith in you. <laughs> You'll figure it out when you're 50. Maybe I'll just go show up at a club and have a guy pick me up and start like dry humping up and down with me. <laughs> wow. You know, sometimes when I talk to people from other areas, I'm like, wow, we grew up different. <laughs> yeah, you did. We grew up different. <laughs> city versus country. Yeah. No, mine's not city. I mean, yeah, it's... You're outside it's of... It's an like extension of, of Albuquerque. Albuquerque. Yeah. It's just... Like I said, it's the hood. <laughs> Okay, where was I? Let I don't find my place. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> where are we? Oh, yeah. He met her at a teen club. Okay, we're back. Angel. We're back, guys. <laughs> so <laughs> Angel introduced Sean to a self-proclaimed witch. Mm. Uh, this witch gave him a magic incantation he could use to renounce Christ oh. and God and welcome Satan into his life fully. That sounds dangerous. She encouraged him to learn black magic. Mm. He actually asked her, should I do white or black? And she explained what he would get with both. And he's like, all right, black. So he said during this ceremony, he felt cold, clawed Mm. hands touch him and embrace him all over. And he heard an audible voice say, I love you. So he basically just welcomed a possession into his Mm -hmm. soul. This was like his first true experience of feeling like really anything. It was very powerful to him. He found the supernatural he'd been looking for. Sean began to believe that he had the ability to invoke demons. Mm. But it became a horrific cycle for him. He had an obsession with gaining power, but he was also really depressed and he didn't know how to cope. Yeah. So, you know, Not it's a like good massive combo. bipolarism is like, yeah, is he's kind definitely of what got his some, life was happening. He's definitely got some undiagnosed mental yes. health issues. Oh, it's diagnosed now. Okay. Okay. Good. So he was once a really good student. Sean's grades started to fail and he became very focused on the occult so even in the past like with all of his interests in this stuff he was still a really good student mm-hmm. like even just at 14 he graduated his stuff with outstanding honors and he was still interested in that but it was all this fucking bullshit that he's like all right now balls to the wall i'm going to this shit yeah once you start like manifesting demons it's hard to keep up with algebra i mean yeah I don't know. I was about to think about... Might take a little bit of your time. I I don't know why. Like, I was thinking about invoking a demon. And you know what popped into my brain? What? Fairy godmother. (laughs) I don't know know why. I guess that's my version of who I was. like a happy demon. I know. gives you new dresses. Well, because my I told you, my brain thinks about a million things a minute. So right when you started talking, I'm like, well, what if it was a good one? That was helpful. It was Glenda the Good Witch. Anyway. No. Okay. So his appearance changed. He started to paint his nails black. Mm. He grew out his hair. Oh, no. He kept his pinky nails very long and very pointed. Why? And well, so he kept his pinky nails pointed. 
and this is an interview I saw, and then some of his other friends would keep, I don't know what the sign of the devil is, but keep whatever the fingernails were. These ones, just very pointed, but he just did his pinky nails. Uh, he wore satanic jewelry, and he only wore black, mm-hmm. but which is totally fine. You know, I wasn't goth back in the day, but I'm pretty sure there was like an entire year in middle school that I wore black, only black. But every, oh my gosh, now I'm like, there's images coming into my brain of pictures that I took from that age. They're always so bad. Because <laughs> you're all black and then you're I'm white all skin. black and I am pure white skin. Yes. I'm like this porcelain doll. I always look like shit. Anyway, <laughs> at this point, he was a sophomore in Putnam City North High School. He started to cut himself mm. and carry vials of his own blood with him. That's weird. At all times. And he would ceremoniously drink his blood, mm. sometimes in front of other class students. During one class, uh, science class, he bit off the leg of a frog. They were meant to dissect and horrified other students. Okay, that tastes like formaldehyde. Yuck. I mean, at least it was dead. But it's full of, he doesn't want it's hurt animals. Full of chemicals. He doesn't Ew. care. In our class, I remember how bad that shit smelled. <clears throat> I don't think I ever did it. Lucky. I did think. not like dissecting. No, I would have just left anyway. You can't make me do something. They dissected a cat in my anatomy <gasps> class and I skipped that day. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Cats are too cute. Cats are too cute. I'm all good dissecting <laughs> a human in front of me. Right? Dead one. Dead one. I didn't want to do any of the animals. Yeah. In art class, he caught his arm and he was like licking and sucking his. So maybe that's what his nail was for. To cut his. I don't know. That's weird. I mean, think about it. In vampire movies, they Mm. use that. Um, So Sean and Richard started to break each of the Ten Commandments to have more power. Now, remember, the Satanic Bible did not suggest this. They're They're kind of creating their own stuff. They felt that if they did that, They would be pledging themselves to Satan and make him proud. Okay. So they broke all nine of the Ten Commandments, except thou shalt not kill. Oh. So that was the last one left. That's the big one. That's the big one. Still don't know how they did the other ones. I'm thinking of the others right now. I'm like, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery. I mean, they're fucking kids. How are they doing adultery? Yeah. Uh, Well, adultery, he could have just done something with someone who was an angel. Yeah. He had his own like uh, commitment to her. And so it was. And he went and kissed another girl. I'm sure they made their own interpretation of how they were doing all of these anyway. So. So although Richard would argue differently later, Sean says that Richard was the one to bring up a lot of sadistic things. Saying about Richard, Sean stated, he talked about raping and killing an old girlfriend of his, torturing her, of stealing the cash from the money bag his boss took to the bank at night and killing her. But I fell right along with him. I enjoyed talking about this evil just as much as he did. We plan robberies and rapes and violence, never once with the intention of doing them. We'd just say, wouldn't it be a kick to do this? And we'd laugh about it. Richard also suggested killing his girlfriend's dad, Al Hawks, because he had recently beaten her just for being on the phone with Richard. Mm. However, one night after performing a ritual, Richard suggested who he thought would be a good first person to kill. Okay. Now remember, Richard is his friend. This is not Sean. Yeah. Okay. This is his friend who's... Richard suggested this. His reasoning was ridiculous. It was an Oklahoma City Circle K convenience store clerk named Robert Paul Bauer. Okay. Have you heard that name before? No. I recognize the name because there's another Robert Bowers, but he's a bad guy, not a victim. Okay. 
He was the guy who killed 11 people in 2018 at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Oh, that was Do you remember that in Pittsburgh? I remember that, yeah. So maybe we'll do that another time. Richard wanted to buy some beer and Robert mm. didn't refused. want to sell it. Well, Richard's not old enough. <laughs> I was He's say, 16, 16 years old. Like that's the law, buddy. But that was enough for him to suggest that he be the first to go. Oh my God. Richard stole guns from his grandfather and his brother. The plan was to kill Robert Bauer, the clerk. And then they agreed that Sean would be the one to do that because Richard would then kill his girlfriend's father for his commit. And then both mm. of their murders would be their offerings to Satan. Okay. So someone had to kill someone and Sean didn't have anybody. So Richard offered up this clerk who wouldn't sell him beer. At 16. Yeah. I mean, sounds like a valid reason. Uh, so Robert Bauer was 32 years old and he mm. had two children. Aww. He's a nice guy. On September 8th, 1985, Richard and Sean went to the convenience store and they chatted with him for like an hour or two. I've read different accounts on how long they'd been there but it was, I believe it was Sean in an interview. He said like two hours that they were wow, just so sitting, just there, sitting there shooting the shit. Yeah. And Unfortunately, there are no surveillance tapes to confirm. Mm. They joked with him and asked why there were no cameras and that it was dangerous. And they asked why he wasn't scared of being robbed. And he said, well, we only ever keep $50 in the cash register. Right. So why would someone kill me over that? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, we're going to kill you over something even more mm. ridiculous. And they actually smirked at each other when he said that. Ugh. Poor guy, not even knowing what was going to happen. So here's the account of what happened next. And this is from Sean's confession. Okay. And this is after chatting with him for that hour or two. He said, a few customers came and went. Finally, as Robert came out of the store to look at Richard's clutch pedal, since we just put a new clutch in his car and Robert's also needed one, Richard looked at me and said, let's do it. Mm. I went around. I took the revolver and followed them back in, but I froze before I got inside. I went around the side of the store. I couldn't do it. Just couldn't. Then this voice spoke inside my head and said that I was weak, that I was coward, and something blinked inside my mind. That's the only way that I can describe it. One second I was shaking and saying I couldn't do this and then blink. I was cold, determined, heartless, and evil. Mm. I walked back around, straight and tall, opened the door and stepped in. Richard saw me and held up something in the aisle where he stood. How much is this? He asked. Robert Bauer was taking a sip from his coffee. He peered over the brim of the cup, swallowed, said something and set the cup under the counter. As he stood up, I raised the gun over the counter aimed at his head, and just as he looked at me, fired. Mm. I flinched, and it missed. He ran, and I fired again, but he slipped and fell, and I missed again. I heard him cry out, though. He grabbed a green windbreaker, which he wore when stocking the walk-in refrigerators, hiding behind it as he ran bent over back and forth behind the counter. Richard came up to the counter, and he ran from him and almost into me. I saw his eyes over the jacket, filled with panic, and I heard Richard say, do it. Mm. I fired, and Robert Paul Bauer flew backward, landing hard on his side. Blood splattered everywhere. He didn't move. When I turned around, Richard was leaning over the counter, trying to figure out how to open the cash register, and I said, go, but he didn't move. Took a few steps and then said, go, and then we sprang out the door. We got in the car and left, and in the car, we laughed about it. What? Yeah, that's a big thing that I read a lot about this is they giggled about it all the way home. So remember that they were supposed to, though, go kill Richard's girlfriend's dad. Right. They didn't. Just like the rush and the adrenaline of what they did. They didn't end up going through with it. They left and they got away with it. Mm -hmm. For now, the police had no suspects. 
They didn't take anything. Because it was completely random. And there was no cameras and it was random. Richard put the guns back where they came from and they buried the bullets in a backyard. Bowling and casings in the backyard. So nobody knew that they had done it. Right. For a moment, Sean wanted to tell his father that he had done that because he thought he might be proud of him. Because oh my God. Because, the, yeah, ninjutsu, you know? like, and Green Beret killing people, being strong. Kill, yeah. And yeah. So life went on for them. Sean admits that he often wasn't aware that he killed somebody. He referred back to like that blink he mentioned. Mm-hmm. One moment he wouldn't be the person who killed someone. He'd just be this like normal teenage kid with just like depression and drama and whatever. And then the next he would be the person who killed somebody and he would feel powerful and like having this secret and knowing that he'd done this. Right. So he said, you know, when he wasn't the person who remembers like having done this, like all he wanted to do was get out of his house. He just wanted to get out. He's just like, he just, he was tired of dealing with his parents and he just wanted to be 18 and done and out of the house. Mm -hmm. But things continued to be very stressful for him at home. He started smoking more pot and he turned to using speed to stay up for longer hours. Remember who did speed first? His his parents, family, right? His parents. Yeah. So this is just him now repeating the cycle that the same yeah. type of stuff that was introduced to him. So he started doing speed. He would also drink alcohol to help with his anxiety. He didn't like himself. His parents did find out about some things. They took some of his books away and his dad told him that he was no longer proud of him once he found out uh, about all the occult stuff and yeah. all of that stuff. And that he would actually have to earn back his respect. What really, really, really didn't help is his mother really hated his girlfriend, mm. Angel. Because Angel was a dropout. Okay. She was still young. She Technically, if you go look around. at yeah. yeah. So, and she chain smoked, which, I mean, that's not good for you, but it doesn't make anybody a bad person. The 80s and a lot of people chain smoked. And I'm pretty sure teeny, a lot of teenagers turn to smoking. I'm sorry. It's not that uncommon. No, they like, do it because it's, shush. they're not supposed to. Yeah. And guess what? It's addictive. So mm-hmm. even then you can get addicted. So Sean believes though, that he hated her a lot because like she reminded her of herself oh at probably that, age. that makes sense but she did not speak nicely at all she took it a little far in my opinion she would call angel horrible names bitch whore little tramp, okay loser. not cool just you're the adult yes here. exactly this is just a little girl how old is she like 16 the girl is 16 yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. you don't you try and help or actually them. i think you, she's 15 at this time yeah, yeah i can't imagine ever saying that about a young mm-hmm. girl so they ended up getting in a huge argument because his mom obviously wanted him to stop seeing her completely mm-hmm. and that he doesn't want to do that. And they got in this huge argument. Richard was over at the time, his friend, and it was one of those fights where she's like, okay, you want to leave? Fine. Get the fuck yeah, out. Get that. I don't know. Yeah. And so he did. He did. And then he responsibly went to work. <laughs> That's what I thought was funny. <laughs> like, I'm just going to leave and go to my job. <laughs> because then you find in like this other part that his dad then came and got his keys from him so that he couldn't have his car. Like came and took the truck While keys he was from at him. work. Yeah. That's... He's like, you need to get home after. Okay. But Sean didn't. And but his dad still found out where he was the next day and then uh-huh. brought him home. So as, as shitty as like his dad seems to be sometimes, he's still like trying a little it bit. It still at just least. feels like he's yeah. still, you know, kind of 
real like the dad dude he was just being the macho dude that was like that's what dads were supposed to be back then right like in his mind he was trying to toughen his boy up or whatever just seemed like he just wasn't a present dad well he was just a macho not present dad but he was never it seemed like she the mom sadly was the one that had the more physical and like verbal interaction which verbally can almost be worse yeah so after his dad came and got him and he went back home, things just got worse. Meanwhile, Richard knew some people involved in the same things and they formed a little group. Okay. So after the murder, they had a little coven and it grew to about 11 people at one point. They called themselves the Elimination. <laughs> Their purpose was to eliminate, eliminate Christianity. Oh, Christianity. <laughs> Christian people, I guess, if you want to get more specific okay. about it. Because this is after he killed somebody. I don't know who within the Elimination knew about this death or not. Right. Um, this murder that the two of them had committed. It might have given them, like, you know, street cred or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like, we murdered someone. They all performed rituals dedicated to Satan, and they've been said to be linked to the Purple Church. I looked into this, obviously, because you can't just the say Purple, purple Church. Church and I, not I mean, look into it. Purple was my favorite color. Tell me more <laughs> about it. <laughs> Do I want to join? No, probably Sean not. actually talks about it himself. So he thought that it was a house that burned down. So they were looking for somewhere that they could like congregate and like mm-hmm. just have this cool spot. And he heard about a house that had burned down and they had been trying to look for it or something. Okay. Couldn't find it forever. And we're just like on the street one day and he like, they both saw it out of their corner of their eye and that became where they would stay. So I found out more about this. It's an urban legend. Okay. Not the place, uh, but itself, like the paranormal satanic happenings mm-hmm. that go there is the urban legend. It's just outside of Oklahoma City in Spencer, Oklahoma. It's in this rural like forest area. Okay. And what it is, is a set of graffitied stairs that lead down into the ground. And it's in the middle of nowhere, essentially. Interesting. The stairs lead into a concrete basement area. Above it is nothing now. The rest of it has since been torn down. But maybe back then what he did house. see was like remnants of something burnt down. Mother Nature took over, like from the images that I was able to find online. But it used to be a church, not oh, a house. Okay. So, and the urban legend of it is it's said to be a gateway to hell. Mm. And it's considered one of the most haunted places in Oklahoma. Very interesting. It got its name because there's a lot of purple pentagrams everywhere mm. down there. It's down this like really eerie dirt road. And it's said that people have gone to like investigate and they never come back. Ooh. It's currently on private property and you actually do need to have permission to go check it out i don't know if it was back then when they were doing this but it's believed to be the place where sean was and that's where they did their rituals okay people who have been here report being touched scratched and hearing strange noises and it's just this ominous heavy feeling being Mm -hmm. there most end up refusing to go down the stairs mutilated animals animal bones have been found hanging on trees surrounding it and makeshift altars are all along the path leading to the Purple Church. There are claims of human or baby sacrifices. Oh. Nothing confirmed, though. Okay. Uh, that's just a little bit about that, though. Sean and his mother continued to fight over Angel. At one point, it did become physical between them. She was hitting him and was harsh with her words, and he decided to fight back. But not really. He pushed her. Okay. Just because he he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm actually done with you. bigger than yeah. you now. 
Like, no, I'm not going to deal with this shit anymore. Stop calling my girlfriend horrible names. Yeah. And at times she tried to help him by seeking out religious intervention, but that never Yeah, that's going to solve it. Interestingly, though, he always seemed open to it, you know, as much as he could be. Okay. But no one ever took the time to sort through, like to sit down and like sort through his questions and actually pay attention and help him understand stuff. So it never ended well. And then he would just become more entranced with Satan, you know? Yeah, they pushed him away. So sadly, his thoughts of his mother eventually turned to thoughts of killing her. Mm. One moment, he wouldn't want to kill her, but then he would have his blink, as he describes it, and then it would be all he could think about. He tried to put rat poison in her coffee three times, but it had zero effect. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> She's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. She has a strong gut. <laughs> but that's, he or he didn't use enough when he said like he had tried to do this. And, and then he was like, but after that, like blink, I, like everything was different. We would argue and stuff. But I just didn't. I just wanted to leave. I didn't want to kill, kill her. her. Yeah. But then blink again. And then next thing I know, I was planning her death. So one night that blink happened. And when I came home from work, I was the cold murderer who had killed Robert Bauer. Mm. That night, nearly six months after he killed Robert Bauer and after having been awake for three straight days on speed, oh, that'll alcohol and weed, he finally slept for a few hours. And when he woke up, he woke up knowing he needed to kill her is how he oh. described it. He went to his parents' room took his dad's revolver and put it in his room. Mm. Later in the night, his father talked to him about rebuilding the engine of his pickup together a little too late. This entire time, his dad would never do anything with him. So once they were asleep, he performed a satanic ritual to invoke possession by Ezraite. Okay. So in in dermatology... Demonology. And dermatology. I need some right now. These fucking pimples on my face. It's pissing me the hell off. Fucking with your words. Because you know what's funny is the one on my chin keep hitting it on the oh, on the microphone. The microphone. <laughs> You're making it angry. <laughs> Just picture me as like this like goobly gobbly witch with all these moles on my face. That's what I feel like right now. <laughs> I can't even see it, and I'm pretty close to you. So anyway. In demonology, not dermatology, (laughs) Ezra is a human turned demon. She was a child who, with her brother, fled their home to the forest when a corrupt government took over their village. Mm -hmm. They were separated and she couldn't find him. She found a home where a demonic scientist lived. He let her stay with him. After a few years, she accidentally knocked over one of his experiments one that was meant to give something demonic power. Mm. She gained the power right before an explosion happened. She died shortly after and returned as a demon. Okay. Her appearance changed, but she was in control of how she looked to others, meaning she could take back her human form whenever she wanted. She grew a tail that split in two prongs at the end, which she could curl up her back or make it seem like it was a belt around her waist. Oh, it's kind of cool. I mean, if I'm going to have a tail, if I'm gonna might as well tail. make it, you know, <laughs> multifaceted. <laughs> a fashion statement. <laughs> her eyes changed from blue to gray, but when she was angry or upset, they would turn black with red pupils. Her teeth, ears, and nails became slightly pointed, and she had the power of controlling blood controlling people's limbs and pulling blood from wounds to create weapons. So according to Sean, he had summoned her into his body and he was now possessed by Ezra. Okay. After the ritual in the early morning of March 5th, 
1986. Dressed in only black underwear, he crept into his parents' room with the gun he had took from his father's bedside table. At the time, he had nothing but cold hatred in him and knew Mm -hmm. that his parents were an obstacle and it was the only way to be free from his personal prison. Mm -hmm. He walked up to his father, put the gun to his head, and pulled the trigger. Wow. That woke his mother. He immediately shot her. She rose up a little and he shot her again. He didn't necessarily want to kill his dad. Okay. But he knew that his dad would do something if he shot his his mother first. Yeah. So he felt that he had to. After he killed them, he put the gun in the hallway, like I think on the hallway floor. And he just kind of felt like this burden had lifted. He kind of sat in that moment for a minute. Mm -hmm. At the time of their deaths, Polly Bellafato was 43 and Vonda was 32. Wow. She was a really young. young mom. He took a shower. And during that, he started to blink. Remember, come back to consciousness, basically. As he calls it. He just remembers ending up at Richard's house after. At some point, like in between the shower and then going to Richard's. He messed up his house a little bit. So there was like this intention to make it seem like an intruder had come and done this. Mm -hmm. So that's a weird part about it. Okay. But when he told Richard what he had done... He was kind of in and out of crying and then being like super cold with no emotions. Okay. And he described that moment as like blink, blink, blink. Like he was just like, back just like this manic back yeah. and forth moment. Richard hid the gun at his home. And then the next morning they decided to go back to Seller's house mm-hmm. to fix it. Like discover the bodies, quote, discover the bodies, you know, air quotes here. <laughs> They did have a third friend with them, but I didn't find anything about that friend knowing anything or being considered like an accessory after the fact. So did they bring him along to like make it seem like a surprise? Probably. They're like, yeah. hey, dude, go to school with us or whatever. Yeah, let's stop by my parents' house exactly. real quick. But immediately family members knew of the tension between him and his parents and suspected him. Okay. They didn't think it was a random intruder. His aunt and grandfather didn't believe that there was anyone that would have cause to harm mm-hmm. them. Sellers and Richard were apprehended March 6, 1986. So quick. quick. Yeah. Richard was initially charged with first degree murder, but the state dismissed the charge and recommended that he be given a five-year suspended sentence in exchange for testimony against his friend. I had to look that up. So essentially, Richard received five years probation, and as long as he didn't commit a crime in those five years, he was off the hook. Mm. He stated that Sean wanted to see what it was like to kill someone. While that is true, Richard did too. He pushed him. And he was the one that really pushed him to kill the... And he offered up many more victims as options. Right. He was the one that said to kill the guy at the Circle K. He was the one that... He didn't even know him. Sean didn't even know him. It was his suggestion. So ultimately, I was upset to hear that Richard got off that easy. Yeah. He may have not killed anyone yet. But he was deeply disturbed. Right. And he and knew he was a huge part of it. And he knew his friend he Sean his friend. was deeply disturbed too. He was and, an he was an instigator, yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways. Like would she Sean would, have done that on his own? Exactly. Maybe not. And then after the first killing and Sean's like massive mental disturbance, 
it became something that couldn't be contained anymore. Mm -hmm. To me, Richard was an instigator and his friend was unhinged and he knew that. Right. And he was involved in that and he was helping his friend with a lot of that stuff. And he was the one who decided to kill Robert. Right. He's the one that chose him and and talked him into doing it essentially he's the one that got the guns from his family right put them back afterward it's just it's kind of crap anyway so during the trial sean's defense lawyers coming back to this tried to argue that dungeons and dragons quote dictated his actions okay that's a horrible defense yeah and it disconnected him from any consciousness of wrongdoing or responsibility They really did jump on the bandwagon of the time. Yeah. Hoping it would help his conviction, saying that like Dungeons and Dragons preyed on his fragile mind and it led him to the occult, which led him to Satanism. Oh my God. And provided a gateway to ritualized anti-human criminal activities. It didn't hold any weight for anybody. Mental illness was completely ignored here. That's what the defense should have been, is that he had trauma and undiagnosed mental illness. And what you'll find, none of this was discussed in his entire trial. Now, I just listed out his childhood. None of it was evident. In reality, he had created his own philosophy of life out of trauma. Okay. Right. It was a mix of everything he went through. Sure, Dungeons and Dragons might have been a part of an escape. There was nothing else that people could talk about. But it was like a mixture of that and Civil Air Patrol and the discipline and training of his ninjutsu and zen and martial arts. But let's not talk about the, you know, molestation or the abuse from his family or the fact that he never had a stable family. Because as a normal child, maybe he wouldn't have even been interested in No. 99% of this shit. Absolutely not. If he felt loved and safe. Yeah. You know. So we're kind of skipping a bit of the sentencing. Okay. Because we're going to come back to it in the appeals. And so you're going to hear a lot of what happened in the appeals. Sean Sellers was sentenced to death on October 2nd, 1986. That does seem really extreme. What I found interesting at the time of his trial, in Oklahoma, it was not possible for a jury to give someone life in prison without the possibility of parole. It was not available until 1987, so just a year later. Okay. Okay. I'll talk about that again here in just a minute. But at the time, he became the youngest inmate on death row. About a year into prison, Sellers looked back on the murder of his parents and said, my life stunk. I was angry with my parents. I continually thought about suicide. I just wanted out. I sat there in my pickup wishing I had either the guts to blow my brains out or for a way to find a new world and leave everything behind. Mm -hmm. I had been up for three days. I was out of speed. Tonight, I would get some sleep. I drove home, did some homework, performed a ritual and slept. My next clear memory is in a jail cell two days later. I had taken my father's 44 revolver and shot both my parents in the head as they slept. In a year, the memories of that night would haunt me. I had stood in front of my mother's convulsing body watching blood pour from a hole in her face and I laughed a hideous giggle. Wow. I had felt relieved as if the world's oppression had been lifted from my shoulders. But for now, all knew that my life was destroyed. I had given Satan everything and now I sat in a jail cell without a family and I no longer want to be a Satanist. Okay, I'm going to go back to the I-5 killer. So you've got Randy Woodfield who killed numerous women, sexually assaulted, all of that, and he didn't get the death penalty. Crazy. And then this kid who had a fucked up childhood and mm-hmm. ended up like, like I have a it's, hard time it, with it's like, impulse and mental illness and literally and he everything. Gets the death penalty. Like yeah. this is why I have a, I guess, 
ethical issue with the death penalty because of how inconsistently it can be given out. You're going to even be more confused. I feel like when we get down to the end of this, nobody's ever going to have a definitive say about it. I mean, there are some people and I get their reasons. But before we get there, another part of this story is sellers converted to Christianity while in prison. Mm-hmm. As many do. Yeah, a lot Which do. is always very interesting to me because I find it unlikely that without prison, most of these people would not have. No, it's because all the Bible studies and everything that happened in prison. This is interesting. So other famous cases in which this has happened include Chris Watts. Oh, God. Piece of shit. He killed his wife and three kids. Yes. I just, I don't know how to accept anything about that one. Here's the thing. We look back at some that are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the past. Mm -hmm. And we have only information to make an opinion and have a feeling about it. Right. We look at women who kill their children and we feel sorry for them sometimes. True. Because they're stressed. But Chris was just having a fucking affair. He just didn't want to go through okay. the messiness of divorce and, and having kids. And I don't kids. think I'll yeah. see that. He didn't even tell the woman he was having an affair with. He had kids. He better not get the fuck out. I don't think he can. I can't imagine he'll get out. You know what's really scary about all of this stuff when I think about it? What? That someday there's going to be a zombie apocalypse and all these fucking serial killers are going to be walking the streets one No, they're going to be stuck <laughs> in the jail cells like just zombies against the bars. <laughs> Like just going mm. it's a true hell, <laughs> right? Because nobody's gonna let their asses out. Like they're just gonna be stuck. I just always think of end of world scenarios. What happens to certain people? Anyway, he wasn't the only one. Chris Watts, David Berkowitz, son of Sam. He mm-hmm. also found Christianity. Convenient. Jeffrey Dahmer. It's so convenient, yeah. isn't it? Carla Faye Tucker. Have you heard of her? I don't know her. I might cover her at some point. I like to hear about women killers. It's funny because you brought up a pickaxe earlier. I did. You did. That's what she used. So she murdered her friend and a woman that was just staying with him for the night with a pickaxe. Mm. And it's kind of sad because the woman, she was having a massive fight with her husband, left, went to a party, and she just kind of ended up going home with this guy didn't even know him and she was murdered don't go home with random guys but that shouldn't be her punishment that's what's fucking shitty about it she had a hard fucking night and something happened and she was found with the axe in her chest Uh. and she was trying to hide she was hiding under bed covers like in the corner of the bed and somehow Carla could see her at some point after everything and decided to just stab a woman trying to hide Mm. that was sad so anyway Sellers publicly announced his conversion actually on several TV shows okay including Oprah he was on Oprah yes okay and Geraldo Rivera <laughs> I remember him and he became a sort of celebrity he actually didn't like what happened after all of it he thought he was saying certain things and they would really blow it up just and, yeah he became this weird poster child oh. of like good boy turned bad by Dungeons and Dragons Satanism Ooh. and you know yeah that whole satanic panic stuff while in prison, Sellers' friends on the outside created a website called Friends of Sean Sellers. It was actually like this online journal that he had access to or either he would write them and then they would type it up and put it on there. So he was on board with it then. Yes, I thought they were was. capitalizing on him. OK, I checked. It's no longer up. Mm-hmm. Um, he also authored a book of love stories and poems. Nothing. I was listening That's to this quite... old episode of us and you kept saying poem or poem. Poems. I, can't, I can't say it how you said it. At the time, I was like, that doesn't sound weird. But then I was listening back and I'm like, I think in my head, when you were saying that when we were sitting here, my brain couldn't even Poems? recognize Poems? what you were. Well, how are you saying that? Poems? That's my Texas. Poems? 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 How does your mouth even do that? What's I happening? No, <laughs> I grew up in Texas. <laughs> I say weird shit. Poems. Poems. <laughs> 
Kendra learns diction. <laughs> okay, say it both ways now. It's too funny. Poems? Yeah. Poems. Hard <laughs> <laughs> talk. I will never think of the word poems the same ever again. And there you go. Of Kendra. You're welcome. Okay. Right. So it was a self-published book mm-hmm. and it was sold on the website, Friends of Sean Sellers. But under Oklahoma law, he isn't allowed to receive proceeds or profits from any source as a direct or indirect result of the crime. Any proceeds or profits must be deposited with the district court in a fund that benefits victims, good. according to the law. Correct. That is good. But there was an investigation into what happened with the funds of this book, even though it had nothing to do with the crime, really, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that he is who he is. And that's just it. Right. Mm -hmm. A woman, Kimberly Frazier, was subpoenaed by a grand jury. She was a Christian and she befriended sellers. Mm -hmm. Her attorney said it was a waste of time to go after her. Her and other friends spent $1,500 issuing some copies, but they only made $100 from this book. So it was a loss, but it was still a felony. What? And it was a crime punishable by $10,000 or 10 years in prison. Wow. Her attorney said, it's a horrendous waste of time to be investigating a good Christian lady's friendship with Sean Sellers. You're harassing her for her friendship. Yeah. The book was not satanic in nature. It was written after his conversion to Christianity. Uh-huh. It was just little love stories and poems. That's. I couldn't find anything that happened after the subpoena. I don't know if she was actually charged with anything, but it's nonsense to me. Like, yeah, even if even if like he ended waste. up with a hundred dollars in commissary, right? That's where you're going to put all of your tax dollars. So he towards. got to buy some Doritos and Cokes for a month. It's ridiculous. Get over. I it. understand if it like became this massive. Yeah, and thing. he was like a multimillionaire and all that. But come on, a hundred dollars. You're just like, wasting people's time, and you're wasting the victims' money because they're taxpayers, and now they have to pay for you to track down a hundred dollars. Yeah, no, it was ridiculous. But a Christian book publisher issued Seller's autobiography, Web of Darkness, in 1990. So his friend, a genuine person helping him, can't make a cent. Okay. But a Christian book publisher sure can. Capitalism at its finest. Yeah. It's all about you the big guys. You can actually find it on Amazon. It is written by him. The book overall is really like just this warning mm-hmm. to anybody who's thinking about becoming involved in Satanism. Okay. It's really just propaganda for I was about to say because it's Christianity and they're yeah. like, this is what happens. You end up in jail on death row. A lot of people think that by buying it, like he's going to go into detail about other things that he did or Satanism and the occult, but he only dedicates like six pages his crimes and what so it's actually a really boring book is what you're saying to the people who expect to have sean sellers details of his crimes yes he later began a religious ministry from prison and he even counseled disturbed youth and helped parents to see the first signs of trouble in their teenage children well i'm on board with that because he knows yeah from experience like he could be helpful to other children sean sellers step siblings doubted his conversion to christianity they didn't think it was sincere. They thought it was like a way for him to get off death row. Okay. You know, in combina- combination with his yeah. age at the time. Yeah. His step-grandfather, though, his father, his stepfather's father, did believe that it was sincere, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. And the prison chaplain believed that he had truly converted. Okay. I don't doubt it. And this is why. With possible mental illness being considered and the lack of resources to continue the occult practices, I'm sure they don't offer the occult, satanic yes. <laughs> Bible and black magic literature in right. jail. 
that he could just as easily find an obsession with Christian literature and structure. He's looking for something. I mean, right? now yeah. that he's in jail and somewhat isolated from the outside world and the comings and goings, he wasn't faced with the same lack of control and day to day frustrations, meaning he wasn't up against what he dealt with as a child and teenager. He wasn't moving all over the place and living with mm-hmm. different abusive family yeah. members. His lord of Satanism was because of control. He felt like it gave him control and consistency in his life. Now, without those battles, the teachings of God probably felt him control more too. welcoming yeah. to him. So I can see and I truly believe that he would shift his perspective and find that same kind of comfort in it. Comfort and yeah. like just saturate himself with mm-hmm. God. And I'm sure he was struggling with the fact that he killed his mom and dad like mm-hmm. that. He probably was drawn to the idea of forgiveness and everything that the Bible teaches. So I could see it. Yeah. I mean, I believe that life in prison for Sean was justified. Mm-hmm. I agree. He killed three people in six months. And he, he may, could have yes, become a serial killer. Yeah. He I had mean, that. he already was, right? Three very just like impulsive and killings in six months. But I think he proved that if you give them a chance and take them away from society, they have a chance to remold themselves. Right. And that he could change. He was still a child and he had a lot of growing up to do. And your brain doesn't fully develop till 25. And he needed, obviously some kind of mental help too Mm -hmm. that wasn't provided so sellers appealed his death sentence three main times 1991 1995 and 1999 okay he appealed his death sentence on the grounds of Dr. Dorothy Lewis, okay. a professor of psychiatry and a pioneering forensic psychologist. She found him to be chronically psychotic. Uh, okay. In addition to other major mood disorders, she found him to exhibit symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. In 1992, six years after the trial, three mental health professionals diagnosed Sean Sellers as having multiple personality disorder. This is what they found during the quantitative electro Cephalogram test. Did I you say got, that right? Oh, wow. I'm going to clap for you. I didn't even say that. You guys don't that know. I didn't edit that out. Okay. No, she said, said that it right, right on the first time. That's okay. why I'm clapping. Because usually we have to edit that kind of shit. You know what's good about that word? It actually looks like how it says. Those are helpful. <laughs> yeah. And then we like fall over other like simple words. <laughs> so anyway, there was evidence that he had brain damage as a result of a head injury suffered when he was a child. Oh, always. Frontal cortex will get yeah. you. The QEEG dramatically changed with each of Sean's altered states, mm. indicating the presence of at least three altered personalities. Whoa. With an evoked potential test, the EPT, which relies on biological signals from the body and cannot be falsified by the patient, it confirmed the QEEG. Two of the doctors separately spoke to two of Sean Sellers' altered personalities. One was named Danny, mm. who demonstrated that he was left-handed. Sean was not. He was right-handed. Okay. And the other personality who they referred to as the controller. They concluded that Sean suffered from MPD at the time of the killings and one of the alter personalities, which was unlikely to have understood the difference between right and wrong. Okay. 
and mm-hmm. like all this blinking shit going yeah, on. Yeah, makes sense. Must have been in executive control of sellers, person or body at the time of the crimes. That makes total sense from what he said. Interestingly, sellers didn't believe the experts. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't believe he had multiple personalities. Yeah. But with the evidence, even the appellate court ruled that there was uncontroverted evidence of sellers' religious conversion and that he does suffer from MPD. It wasn't enough, though. It was concluded that while he might have been insane at the time of his crimes, the claim was made too late to raise an appeal, and they denied it. Ugh. In my opinion, though, back then, it's the fault of the system. I found out yes. that the public defender was only provided with $750 to spend on any Defense. expert witness fees. Oh, God. Which included travel costs, expenses, and lodging. So they couldn't have done there was a, nothing analysis. Done yeah. And everyone was so stuck in the satanic panic of the 80s, it was probably difficult to see past anything else. Yeah. They wanted to use him as a poster child of satanism exactly. because that was the time. And multiple personality disorder. They weren't aware of that at the time no. in the same way. So I get that. It's really this hidden disease that takes sometimes years to manifest and show itself. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they couldn't have looked at that further. And there was none done. But it's so hard because he's the cold-blooded murderer, right? What do you give to someone? But he was a child still. That's where I... This is where this is. Like if he was, you know, 38 or something like that in the same position. But he was 16. Right. When he did this. Yep. And he had a brain injury. Yeah. I don't know. To me, it's very clear that through his entire life, he never received the care that he needed. No. He was never with anyone long enough to truly have them like question if he had any type of mental issues going on with him. And he never felt comfortable with anybody to share. To kind of talk about it. And in fact, like voices in his head, he's like, well, this must be normal because nobody ever talks to me about stuff. So like, I guess that's just part of life. And he's been very extremely detailed in his accounts of like hearing voices as a young child. He did suffer and because of the trauma that he grew up with it probably not just the head injury right but it just but all the other it just compounded mm-hmm. but guess what i found that the waiver of insanity claim during the trial was not clear meaning it seems that there was no waiver at the time he did not deny insanity the courts claimed that he had waived his insanity claim oh. and used this as a reason to deny his appeals oh however that wasn't true the state of oklahoma actually has a legal procedure at least at the time, that calls for post-trial consideration of newly discovered evidence mm-hmm. under certain standards. And according to Seller's attorney, Steve Presson, Seller's case overwhelmingly met those standards. But they wanted but to the see But the Oklahoma it. Court of Criminal Appeals refused to consider the evidence. His defense tried to appeal again to the Supreme Court, but the appeal was denied. They were told that his only option was if the state of Oklahoma decided to grant clemency. Diana Cron, one of the jurors who sentenced Sellers to death, spoke on Sellers' behalf at the clemency hearing, which was held a week before his scheduled execution. During the trial, initially, the jury was not instructed that Sean Sellers was 16 at the time. What? And that his age should be a mitigating circumstance. Later, that yeah, is crazy. Because essentially, a little bit later within the trial, he's like, is age really an issue here? Or would you judge it based on these crimes? Or is it? Oh. It became this weird thing. But later, in, her and other jurors were encouraged to think of Sean Sellers just as an adult, okay. not a child, who committed adult crimes. 
The trial judge did not allow an expert to provide the jurors with information about the relevance of developmental differences between adults and children. She said that they were only given two choices of sentencing. Kind of mentioned these before. A life sentence with the possibility of parole or the death penalty. They were not allowed to do life with with no parole. With no parole. That wasn't available yet. And they were not allowed to find him guilty of first degree manslaughter per the judge's instructions. Cron and the other jurors were worried that a life sentence would mean that Sean would serve seven to 15 years in prison and then be out on parole. And they felt that that wasn't long enough. The jurors honestly didn't think that he would be executed because at the time, Oklahoma had not executed anyone in 20 years. Whoa. They thought that by choosing the death penalty, it would simply ensure that he had a longer prison sentence, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't actually lead to an execution. If clemency had been granted, sellers would just be converted to life without the possibility of parole. Okay. Cron also stated that if the jury had been aware of Sean's mental illness, it would have changed their sentencing. Absolutely. And they also didn't know about his childhood and his abuse and what he went through growing up. Mm. She said, it's very obvious that he's found God and God changed his life. I was touched. I truly do not want him to be executed. As soon as the testimony of the clemency hearing was over and Sellers was taken from the chapel, all five board members voted to deny clemency. Whoa. I think that they're all just obsessed with the Satan part of it. That's that's my yeah. thought on all of this is they're just like, we need to set an example. It could be. It's a very controversial thing that if they don't like just stick to their fucking guns, they're like, whoa, shit. Well, then I'll have then to everybody's admit that gonna I think, made a mistake. Yeah. I don't know. But past jurors weren't the only ones who were seeking clemency. Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu of South Africa, the American Bar Association, Amnesty International, and even an ex-wife of Mick Jagger were among those who were seeking clemency for him. Mm -hmm. In response to the decision to uphold the death sentence in 1999, Human Rights Watch condemned Governor Keating in a letter stating that, that the decision was made on narrow procedural grounds, despite the acknowledged uncontested clinical evidence that Sellers suffered from multiple personality disorder. No civilized society can accept the execution of a person who was a child at the time. No. He committed his crimes and who was and remains afflicted with a mental disorder. Such an execution offends the most basic principles of international justice and morality. Amnesty International also responded, stating the following. Every country apart from the USA and the collapsed state of Somalia has agreed to be bound by Article 37 of the Convention of the Rights of the Child, which prohibits the use of the death penalty against those who committed crimes under the age of 18. Every death sentence is an affront to human dignity. Every execution, with its message that killing is an appropriate response to killing, compounds the violence in society. See, that's what gets me. Right. Because it's like... True. I agree. I used to think the death penalty made sense, but... But see, here's the thing. Older, if, if there was yeah. a man sitting here who hurt little children... Yeah. I'm sorry, that's, but... That's it, what I'm saying. Like, you think about, like, I a Jeffrey Dahmer or, like, some of these serial killers that it's very, very evident that they are the ones that committed these horrendous the, crimes. The most like, despicable of people. That's where I, like, I brought up the I-5 killer earlier. We know he did it. DNA has linked him to all of these victims, and he gets to live. He's, you know, 
know, he's still alive today. He's in his 70s living in prison. And this kid who was mentally disturbed and killed his mom and dad and one person, like he didn't, I don't know, there just wasn't that same level of evil no, to it, it, you know, and, honest, and he gets and killed. It's, it's going to be weird to talk about this because killing is killing and right. And the way you do it, it's still death. Right. It's still murder. But a gun is much quicker. It was yep. not torture. Right. There wasn't this. I'm not saying there was a better way to kill somebody, but you know, if we're comparing a ridiculous, murderous, torturous fucking person like Randy compared to this kid, right, who has multiple personalities, nobody in the world should be able to have the power to decide whether one person lives or dies. That's true. You can have an opinion on whether this person deserves to have their life, but like, even it's not your fucking choice. I was about to say, if somebody came to me and said after everything I know about Randy Woodfield and I was the final decision if he lived or died I don't know that I would want to say kill him okay so getting back to um, what Amnesty said because I want to read their statement yes they say as the world gradually moves towards abolition the U.S. continues to undermine the global trend perhaps most markedly in its defiance of the ban of the death penalty against child offenders. Yet at the same time, U.S. political leaders proclaim their country to be the most progressive force (laughs) for human rights in the world. The execution of Sean Sellers would reinforce the view that such claims are nothing more than errant hypocrisy. The death penalty does not allow for the capacity of human beings to change. Sean Sellers is facing death because a jury a dozen years ago was persuaded that he would always be a threat to society. Surely the most powerful economy in the world can find a more humane response to the crimes of a 16-year-old mentally ill boy. Virtually all countries have stopped executing their child offenders. Why not the USA? Why well, not? aren't we just fucking special? Because we are the Christian nation that is full of hypocrites. Oh my God. That's not surprising to me, unfortunately. I think about his age. I don't want who I am to be like related to my teenage years. Oh God, no. And you know what sucks though? The moment I said that, I got sad Why? because that's also part of who we are. And we're constantly like disregarding that part of ourselves. But we wouldn't want to be judged by no. what the decisions we made at no, 16. No, like you are... It's kind of like, what is that show? What is that show? What is that show? It's not Hunger Games. It's the other one where that you get your chosen. Your life path is chosen when you turn 18. Divergent. Divergent. Fuck that shit. Right. (laughs) And we're meant to do that in college, too. I'm sorry, like going off topic, but we're in so much debt and so much shit. And who are we supposed to know what we want to do? Right. At 19 or 18. Yeah. And it's so much pressure. I see my kids go through it because they've both gone through that age. And it's like, you don't know. And honestly, I am 42 now and I don't want to be judged on any decision that I've made at any point in my life now because like it's a constant evolution and you learn from it. I mean, I wasn't put through the things that Sean was and I don't have that heavy of a mental illness. And it's just it feels like a complete injustice that he was stuck at that that time and once again I just feel like they were using him as an example we can't ever take away what he did do right especially for Robert Bauer yeah that's fucked because that poor guy was just at his job his little kids grew up without him because of a senseless act that and they that's not they did but 
kids. I guess I'm sorry. Yeah. Like teenagers, you can either be good or bad, but I have seen the bad go good. The yeah. good to bad to good. So in Sean's case, I really do believe it's possible. The only thing that stops me from following the same path, and I think when we were talking about it a minute ago, is because it's not our decision on who, yeah, it's not yours, it's not mine. It's not my personal decision based on my opinion of a person to decide if that person is worth living. Yep. (sighs) Ultimately, he made two last final appeal attempts two days before his scheduled execution. Mm -hmm. One was outright denied and the other was denied but reasoned with, quote, the state appellate court admitted it used the wrong legal justification in deciding Sellers' waiver of mental illness but nevertheless rejects Sellers' appeal after reconsidering the case on the merits raised by Sellers' defense team. Mm -hmm. Sellers spent his entire adult life on death row and spent the last eight years of his life in the H unit at Oklahoma State Penitentiary, a maximum security unit with small concrete windowless cells and subject to cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. It was found to actually be in violation of international standards. Wow, that's disappointing. Yeah. Before execution, death row inmates are transferred to solitary confinement in special double-doored high-max punishment cells. They were checked on constantly by guards. This was done to stop inmates from killing themselves before the government had their chance Uh. to do it. Now, I'm not saying what he did was not horrific. Agreed. It was. He killed his parents while they were sleeping. Mm -hmm. They had no chance to defend themselves. They had no chance to stand up for themselves. They were completely vulnerable. And his his dad talked about, oh, hey, son, you know, let's rebuild your your engine for your truck. Like, that's sad. Mm -hmm. And that was the end of that night. Like, they could have turned their relationship around. They might have. You know, he was just a fucking kid. And kids go through shit. Teenagers go through shit. But in jail, Sean had no incidents. He had nothing on his record the entire time. He ended up saving the life of another inmate that was being attacked. And this this other inmate actually was very cruel to Sean and said, I'm going to kill you when I can. But he ended up being attacked outside and Sean broke it up. And was able to get him away from these other jailmates and saved his life. And there are a lot of other people who have claimed that he saved their lives by helping them and talking to them and turning Mm -hmm. around their own lives and maybe not committing suicide or maybe not doing this. So he helped a lot of people. I feel like overall he did good with the life that he had after the murders. He tried and it happened when he was young and I just felt like he was so he was just missing love. He was missing love for sure. And that's what really can make or break somebody. I don't know. This is a super difficult case. In the end, before his execution, his last words were all the people that are hating me right now and are here waiting to see me die. When you wake up in the morning, you're not going to feel any different. No. You're going to hate me just as much as tomorrow as tonight. When you wake up and nothing has changed inside, please reach out to God and he will be there for you. Reach out to God and he will heal you. Let him touch your hearts. Don't hate all your lives. I love you all. He sang some Christian songs and then said, here I come, father. I'm coming home. Then he turned to the warden. He said, let's do it, Gary. Let's get it on. 
in Sellers finally saying his last words, set my spirit free that I might praise thee, set my spirit free that I might worship thee. And he died at 12.17 a.m. on February 4th, 1999, five minutes after injection at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary, McAllister, Oklahoma. He was 29 years old and he had spent 13 years on death row. So he's dead. Mm -hmm. Outside of the prison in McAllister, roughly 100 death penalty opponents held lit candles and read scriptures, upset that a murderer so young should die. Some came for the first time simply because of his conversion to Christianity and his continued preaching from prison. He spent most of the day visiting friends he made since being incarcerated, about 10 friends, while in a holding cell, which they called the death cell because it was next to the room that he was going to be executed in. Mm Mm-hmm. For his last meal, because we'll probably talk about this at some point, yeah. <laughs> at some point in different cases. For his last meal, he had egg rolls, sweetened sour shrimp, and battered fried shrimp. Not bad. Okay. I don't think I'll ever be on death row. But I've thought about this. Like, what would you have as your what last would meal? I have? Yeah, it's hard because I am a foodie. Yeah, I've made you pizzas. Yes. <laughs> Someone needs to make it way better than me. And I make, I feel like I make good ones. Yeah. They're not woodstone fired though. If right. I have woodstone. a woodstone fired pizza with like some greens and pears and balsamic and like caramelized onions and that would be good. Maybe some crab legs. Yeah. Majanos. I don't know if they're anywhere else. Are they? In? They're all over. Oh, they yeah, are? I okay. went to the first one in Chicago years ago. Oh, really? It's in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I love their mushroom ravioli. Mm-hmm. It's to die for. I would be good with mushroom ravioli. I don't know. I'd have to really Maybe a think bigger about it. plate. I mean, I can get through the whole thing. It takes some time. But if it's my last one, I might as well stuff yeah, myself shitless. And I want dessert. I want all kinds of stuff. I want some wine. What Definitely. Do want? I don't know. That's why I'm like sitting here thinking. I'm like, what would I choose? It would have to be something really fattening with lots of cheese. Uh, <laughs> with lots. Like I could see myself ordering like good filet mignon, you know, seasoned just right. Do you like it with a ranch? No. I don't like ranch. <gasps> I know. Have you ever you. tried? I grew up in Texas. Ranch was on everything. Even so. steaks? Oh, yeah. Like it was in every. I think that's why I hate it. Mm. I think it was just too prolific. Ranchy? <laughs> I, yeah. Ranch has never been my thing. Interesting. Okay. I don't really like salad dressings at all. If I eat a salad, it's usually with like oil and vinegar. Mm-hmm. Very boring. Anyways, we're way off now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think. I'd really have to think about my last meal. I can't be put on the spot. I need to visualize. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. I don't well, know. My, like that's like if somebody asked me my favorite food, I don't really know. I like a lot of stuff. Well, then how about you tell me what do you want today? Today, if you were dying right now and you could eat one thing, what would you eat right now? I want an eclair from France because that was one of the best things I've ever had in my life. An eclair, mm-hmm. like with a cream filling and the chocolate on top. See, look, so I just had to good. pressure the shit out of you. You she have a gun it. to my head. I'm gonna uh, be like, give donut. me a fucking eclair, but you okay. have to go to Paris, so you can't kill me right now because you got to fly to Paris to get this. <laughs> I'll just figure out how to make a Paris version eclair. Yeah. Okay. Don't have to go to a different country. I mean, if it gets you from not killing me. (laughs) Okay. All right. Anyway, so Sellers was the first and remains the only person executed in the U.S. for a crime committed under the age of 17 since the reinstatement of the death penalty in 1976. Wow. And the only execution of a crime at 16 in Oklahoma. The U.S. Supreme Court ruling Roper v. Simmons later decided it was unconstitutional to Mm. execute someone for a crime under 18. Quite behind the times of every other country. Again. And we think we're we're so so progressive and we're the best and blah, blah, blah. So really his sentence was really bad luck. 
it was bad luck in the sense that if they had considered the evidence they were actually supposed to consider in the appeals, yeah. he wouldn't be dead. He was sentenced to death one year before they began offering the option of life without parole. Mm-hmm. And he was executed six years before it became unconstitutional altogether. <laughs> wow. He was so close to Just all these bad, bad laws. timing. And now he's gone. Right. Well, and that is the story of Sean Sellers. I think the biggest thing here is his mental illness was completely ignored his entire life. He never had anyone around him long enough to say, oh, that's let me look into that. Because there was not enough consistency of people around him to be like, what's wrong with Sean today? You know, what's wrong with him this week? He seems different. He just wasn't cared for. It's back to the love. This is just a tragic situation all around. All around. And once again, as we say on other episodes, it's like so much of this could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. And so much true crime, I think, if everyone just is a little kinder and pays attention to other people and especially those closest to you like I can't judge his mom I can't judge his dad because I'm sure they had their own shit but and then we even have to go back to like he had this head injury when he was a little kid yeah what happened there what happened Who there that had to be we a pretty have, we have no context in that situation whatsoever I mean that could happen when a babysitter was watching him like or something Seriously, and he didn't get at taken any, at yeah. any point but she started leaving him for weeks on end at five and you're you're growing and I remember my daughter at five and I'm like wow you know those are pretty important parts of your life. Right. If you're just like this recycled child everywhere you go, how do you grow any sort of identity that then comes back to, well, I feel safe. I feel loved. I, I know don't. what I'm You don't. And everything goes back to anyone who's been to therapy. It always goes back to attachment style and it comes from a very young age, and like before you're even aware of it. And, you know, his mom left his dad at like three. Like he had he had trauma even before he realized it, probably because it sounds like his dad was not the greatest guy before his mom you know moved away and took him back to Oklahoma and then she left it's just I mean now I look at this situation though and maybe he would have been better off of his dad who knows you never know he was just you know he was an alcoholic but did he abuse him I don't know maybe he was just like a starving artist you know and he he liked the women is that a bad thing maybe he would have brought a woman that I don't know maybe a better mom you know just more affection who knows we don't know any of it that doesn't mean every child who goes through what Sean did is going to do this but certain things are going to lead to it and for Sean I felt like was this massive like cataclysm of bullshit his entire life he couldn't win from the beginning if that makes sense like he was just doomed I don't know what to say about that because some people are. It just seems like they're born into the world and maybe it's to teach everyone a lesson or That's something. That's what I was just That's the only say, thing I can like, think of. It hasn't happened since him. Yeah. And we're the ones out there as the United States telling everybody about humans, <laughs> human rights and we're... We're stupid. Executing... No. Uh, yeah. Fuck that shit. I'm probably going to get executed for saying this. Do you know that we keep... Okay, I don't know how much more I can take. Uh, no. You guys didn't hear this, but we had a little talk offset of something else that just was related. We didn't want just to humans, talk about it here yeah. and just human rights violations. And just it just really hit me hard. Yeah, we went somewhere deep. I'm grabbing the black tourmaline to let go of negative and bring it back up. Ay, ay, ay. And so this world is so sick. It is. But we have to be the people that brings it up. 
every single person deserves to have a good human experience. And when there are other people who are destroying other people's experiences to enjoy life. I know. And you see how quickly their lives are taken away from them just from being like in another country or being a different color or being a, a different gender or and loving it, someone. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. Just and live I'm, and let live. I just. Uh. But they're not going to. These are fucking sadistic people. All we can do is keep talking about the real shit. Yeah, that's what we'll be doing. And, and we hope that you're along for the ride with us. And I think we're going to close this episode now. We need to. We need to go take out a walk. We need to we go. Are. We're going to go for a walk after this. And, yes, walk and in decompress. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about our socials because we want you all to follow. Please, please go on and follow. We Follow, are, subscribe, yes. please. We need it. And share out. with your friends. So yeah. we are on Instagram. We are on TikTok. We are on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And it's all under Lucid Lab podcast, all one word. Mm -hmm. We will be putting notes up there from each episode and we'll be adding various content. We have our pets up there. We have all kinds of stuff. So please go look at it. Share it. We're on every platform. Push to everyone that you know. It's all about a ripple effect. So if you like us, you know, like support us and and just tell a person. Yeah, that's the easiest thing. And rate us highly. Yes. And leave us some reviews, please. And we're going to keep bringing you good content. And we're going to keep talking about the deep stuff. Yep. And you're going to have listener stories. If you have any, please email us at lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. You can mail us at P.O. Box 251 Eastlake, Colorado 80614. Um, We're kind of in our feels at the moment, I think, as we we leave this one. So just thanks. Yeah. Gracias. And in the meantime, you know, stay lucid. Like Stay lucid, guys. Achieve that lucidity. <laughs> just be aware. We love you guys. Love you. We're signing off. Bye. Bye-bye.